Part 2, Demonstrating the Astonishing Power of Emotions. Some examples to help you let go of the oars. In the pages that follow, we will offer examples on a variety of subjects in which people often find themselves out of alignment with their own desires. We'll discuss desires relating to your physical body, your relationships, your life purpose, your financial employment, and even world events. We've gathered these examples from the vibration of mass consciousness as you've been living your lives, and in doing so, have been continually asking for improvement and expansion. Some of these examples will dovetail with things that are important to you right now, and some of them you may not relate to in any personal way, but it will be helpful for you to read them, even if they're not about your issue, because within these examples, you will find a complete understanding of the science of deliberate creation. It's likely that as you read these examples, you'll take issue with some of them, for you may not believe that some of the desires are appropriate. Depending upon what you're currently experiencing and how you're feeling, you may find some of these examples to be frivolous. For example, if you're frightened about a physical condition and you're reading a section regarding how to improve your relationship with someone at work, you may feel annoyed that we're giving so much attention to something that seems insignificant to you, given your circumstances. But even though you may not be able to personally relate to some of the examples that are offered here, we encourage you to read through them anyway, for it's our knowing that in the process of reading these examples, you'll come to more profoundly understand vibrational alignment. We do not seek to guide your desires, for your own life has already accomplished that. It's our desire that the following examples serve as a tool that causes you to allow your own alignment with your own desires. Example 1. I have been given a frightening diagnosis. How long will it take me to find my solution? Example. My body is showing some signs of imbalance. In fact, I'm far enough out of balance that I've received an unsettling diagnosis from an expert, and so now I feel fear. Hmm. The fear that you feel is understandable under these circumstances, but still you're feeling it, and fear means that you're pointed upstream. Now, it's easy to lose sight of what your real work is here, for there are many varied opinions about the course of action that you should take. Hundreds of books have been written upon the very subject of this diagnosis that has been given to you, but we want to assist you in removing the confusion about what action you should choose and help you to simply determine whether you're pointed upstream or downstream. It's easy to clutter the situation further by trying to understand what you should have done differently so as not to be in this situation, looking back for a fork in the road where, if you had only chosen differently, you could have arrived at a different place. I shouldn't have done such and such for all of those years, or I should have done this instead. If I had just taken better care of myself, if I had only taken the time for more regular checkups, if I had only listened to my mother. But we want you to understand that at this moment, the only thing you need to consider is, am I pointed upstream or downstream? And if you let that be your only consideration right now, you can begin moving toward the improved state of health that you desire. In other words, there's nothing to consider other than, right now, am I turned toward improvement or away from it? And the emotion you feel will give you the answer. The exercise of determining if you're pointed upstream, away from the desired outcome you seek, or downstream, toward the desired outcome you seek, will vary from person to person depending upon how fast your stream is flowing. For example, if your diagnosis is a serious, life-threatening one, and you still have a very strong zest for life, you would feel a very strong pulling against the current, or a very strong feeling of fear when you focus upon the diagnosis. But if you're no longer very interested in living your life in this physical body, then the feeling of uneasiness would be much more slight. So the emotion that you're feeling at any moment tells you two things. One, 
how fast your stream is flowing or how strong your desire is about a particular outcome, and two, which direction you're pointed in the stream. As we begin processing this example, we'd like you to consider that even the idea of healing is pointed upstream, for it implies an overcoming of the illness. Feel the difference between the idea of beating the illness and that of allowing the wellness. We will offer some statements that are usually offered in a situation like this. See if you can feel if the statement points upstream or downstream. This is a very scary diagnosis. Upstream. I should have taken better care of myself. Upstream. This disease is hereditary. Upstream. The options for treatment aren't pleasant. Upstream. How did I get here? Upstream. Why did this happen to me? Upstream. It is likely that as you heard the preceding statements, you could easily feel that they were upstream, resistant statements. But now consider the following common statements. I can beat this. I'm not going to let this get the better of me. I'm not ready to go yet. I'll triumph over this. We want you to try to understand that those statements are upstream, resistant statements also. For in each of them, you're looking at the thing you do not want and holding yourself in vibrational alignment with the unwanted rather than the wanted. And in statements such as all of the above, you're not remembering that in the unpleasant experience of contracting the disease, you have already made a vibrational request for improvement, which your inner being has already achieved, and your inner being is standing in that improved place calling you toward it. And that is the momentum of the stream. Your very belief that you need to overcome this adversity has you pointed upstream and away from the solution. Now, see how these thoughts feel. This diagnosis has caused me to ask for even more wellness. The larger part of me, my inner being, has already achieved that wellness. I will continue to evolve and ask for more. On a vibrational level, I'm at my greatest state of wellness. The larger part of me, the inner being part of me, is better now than ever. The law of attraction is calling the rest of me toward that improved state also. The natural current is moving in the direction of my well-being. Any action I choose is less important than my knowledge of this stream. There is no reason for me to struggle in any of this. My well-being is inevitable. Those were all downstream statements. Now take some time here to feel the relief in the relaxed downstream nature of those statements. Whenever you feel relief, you've lessened your resistance. And when you lessen your resistance, you're flowing in the direction of your desire. The physical manifestation of your wellness will not be fully evident immediately, but that's not necessary. For now that you've discovered the art of allowing your well-being rather than the impulse to resist it, your well-being must return. As you continue to attempt to guide your thoughts downstream, in time that will become your natural inclination. It will come easy to you, and your wellness will return. At first, your relief will be sporadic. In time, your relief will be consistent, and then the manifestation will match the relief. Disease is the law of attraction's response to resistance. Well-being is the law of attraction's response to allowing. How long will it take me to find my solution? question. How long will it be before I'll be able to see improvement in my physical body? In other words, when can I expect a new and improved diagnosis? While it's understandable that you might still be asking these questions as you're longing for a quick resolution to your frightening diagnosis, the questions themselves arise from the premise of experiencing sickness and needing a solution. 
And so your questions definitely are pointed upstream. They also reveal your lack of understanding about the power of the stream, its direction, and its ability to take you to the solutions you're seeking. When you ask, how long before I will see improvement? You're actually asking, how long will I be here in this place I do not want to be? The variation in those words may seem slight to you, but we assure you that the vibrational difference is huge. The only way you'll be able to personally know if your words or focus are upstream or downstream is by reaching for a visceral feeling of relief. For example, how long before I'll see improvement in my body? Upstream. Now try to find a question or perspective that feels better to you than that. Focus on the way you feel and try to make yourself feel better with your next statement. Improvement is natural. Downstream. All in good time. Downstream. Now, these may not seem to you like earth-shattering statements, and you may not really completely believe them, but none of that matters. The only thing that matters is that by focusing a little bit, you've made yourself feel a little better. You did not put a motor on your boat and race instantly to some miraculous healing, but you did stop the resistance. You did release the oars. You did turn in the stream. You did everything that was necessary right here, right now. Occasionally something will happen. You'll observe something, someone will say something to you, or you'll remember something that causes you to point upstream again. However, this is not a problem for you because you're now aware of your position in the stream. So, once again, with a little bit of effort, you can release the upstream thought by replacing it with something that feels better. For example, you see someone who's obviously suffering from a debilitating disease, and you notice that the person's symptoms seem similar to your own. However, that individual is clearly much sicker than you are. As you see him or her, you feel fear, and you think, I hope that's not where I'm headed. But this time, the thought does not have priority within you. Instead, your awareness of the way you feel takes priority. And since the way you feel, right here, right now, matters to you even more than whatever thoughts you're contemplating, you make a decision at this moment to improve your feeling. I hope that's not where I'm headed. Upstream. I don't know what that person's story is. Downstream. That person may be better today than a month ago. Downstream. I don't know what thoughts are creating that person's experience. Downstream. That person's experience and my experience are unrelated. Downstream. I shouldn't go looking for trouble. Downstream. I think I'll mind my own business. Downstream. Again, you're not looking for drastic improvement or life-changing ideas. Just soft, slight improvement in the way you feel. As many situations occur during each day, and as you are aware of the way you feel while you're in them, and as you insist on getting yourself pointed slightly downstream, over and over before you know it, downstream will be your natural tendency. And soon there will be obvious evidence in your physical body of the improvement in the direction of your thoughts. By focusing upon the improved emotion, which you can achieve in this moment, you lay the vibrational foundation for your physical improvement. When you try to pin down the specifics of when or how the physical improvement will come, you forestall your physical improvement because you do not know those answers, and so you cause resistance in your vibration. In short, although you cannot achieve an immediate physical recovery, you can achieve an improved emotion, and that is enough. Example 2. I cannot lose weight. Example. I've been overweight for as long as I can remember. There were a few brief times in my life when I was able to force my weight under control through uncomfortable dieting and what felt like deprivation and through arduous exercise. 
But none of it was easy, and I wasn't able to maintain the regiment for long, and so the unwanted weight always came back. I don't feel comfortable in my clothes and dread shopping for new ones. I stand in front of my closet looking for something to wear, and even though I have some nice things, nothing appeals to me because I don't like the way I look no matter what I'm wearing. My body doesn't move well, and I know that I'd feel so much better all around if I could just lose a few pounds, but I feel powerless to do anything about this excess weight, so I'm very discouraged. Now, we want to begin this discussion by reminding you of the most important part of deliberate creation. Creating is not about making things happen through action. In fact, creating is not about making things happen at all. Creating is about allowing the thing that you desire to happen, and the allowing happens through energy alignment, not through action. Sometimes this is a hard thing for you to hear because you know from your personal experience in life that action does get results. You know that you've been able to shed unwanted pounds by decreasing your food consumption, and there's no question in your mind that the exercise helped too. And we're not disagreeing with any of that, for it's obvious that action does have a place in the creating of many things. In fact, without action, your society would be without a great many of its things. But when you make action the cornerstone of your creative process, without considering the vibrational basis of your being as you're taking the action, you're working under a distinct handicap. For there simply is not enough power in the action itself to compensate for the competing energies of your misaligned thought. You may recall a successful experience where someone offered you an idea regarding losing weight and you felt an immediate enthusiasm toward the idea. Your enthusiasm could be attributed to the power of the belief of the person who offered the idea to you or it could be that the idea dovetailed precisely with beliefs of your own. But it's your enthusiasm that we want to call your attention toward. Your enthusiasm was the evidence that the vibration of your being was in alignment. And then, remember what happened next. You were eager to take the action, and in taking it, positive results occurred. It is possible to take action because someone suggests it, or encourages it, or even demands it. And once involved in the action, your attitude can begin to improve. But the deliberate alignment of your vibration first, which then inspires successful action, is a much more powerful approach to whatever it is you want to create. During your discouraged moments, as you acknowledged that your body was not as you would like it to be, you were launching rockets of desire about what you preferred. And within all of that processing of life, and without realizing it, you have been adding to your vibrational escrow. You have created a vibrational version of the new and improved physical version of yourself. We want to help you understand that this is not a flimsy dream floating somewhere in your imagination. This is not a delusional departure from reality. This is a creation in the making, and it is being created in precisely the same way that everything you see around you has been created. The living of life gave birth to the idea or thought, which in time, with focus, became what you call your reality. So, the discouragement you've been feeling is indicating the discord between the continually evolving creation of your beautiful body and the thoughts that you continue to think regarding your body. Your body has been vibrationally evolving, but your old patterns of thoughts, your beliefs, which are only thoughts that you continue to think, are causing a vibrational discord. And under those conditions, successful action cannot be inspired or performed. Under those conditions, all action is harder, yielding little or no results, causing more discouragement still. The key to bringing your body to a new place is to see it differently from the way it is. 
It's necessary that you focus upon the body that's coming and distract yourself from the negative aspects of your current physical body. For as long as you're seeing your body as it is, you are contradicting the vibration of the idea of a slender body. You cannot create a new reality while looking at your current reality. So, now that you understand why it has been so difficult to find the inspiration to act, and why the action, even when you did offer it, netted you very little results, let us show you some very simple things that you can do that will begin the process of aligning your energies immediately. For by understanding the laws of the universe, and by understanding the basis of your creation, which is the simple alignment of vibration, you will now be on your way to the outcome that you desire. Your choices right now do not include whether you are at your perfect body weight or not. You have no choice other than to be at the body weight you are at right now. You're going to weigh about the same thing tomorrow as you do today and the next day too, and so on. Changing your body weight right now is not an option. Changing your vibrational alignment right now is an option, a powerful one. Also, you are not right now choosing between feeling fabulous or terrible. You are not choosing between feeling enthusiasm or discouragement. Your choices right now are more subtle and more fine-tuned than that. You are making the simple choice of feeling a little better or a little worse. You can choose an upstream thought or a better-feeling downstream thought. Those are your only choices, upstream or downstream, but those choices are enough. For example, imagine that you're at an outdoor shopping center. You're moving in and out of many beautiful shops, and there are hundreds of people moving in and out of them with you. These individuals vary in size and shape and wardrobe, but you are predominantly noticing nicely dressed, nicely shaped, beautiful people all around you, and as you see them, you feel self-conscious. You are now awkwardly aware of what you're wearing, and you're unhappy with the way you look today. You turn to see your reflection in the window as you're walking, and you're extremely unhappy about the way you look. You feel agitated, discouraged, and unhappy, and you're not having a good time on this shopping outing at all. You have now lost interest in the reason why you came to the shopping mall. You do not feel like shopping anymore. In fact, the only thing that's appealing to you right now is the idea of getting something to eat. There are good-smelling things in the air, and you realize that you are hungry, and that you do want a snack. There are several choices within view, and from the fragrances in the air, you know there are more choices nearby. Any one of several things sounds good to you. Ice cream, candy, maybe something more substantial such as a sandwich. Actually, all of that sounds pretty good to you right now. Your urge to find a quiet place to sit while you eat something is becoming quite strong. And while you're trying to fight the urge to follow through on your impulse, it's much easier to just give in to it and get something to eat. As you're standing in line at the ice cream counter, you notice the slender people waiting in line with you. They are annoying. And as you are annoyed, your urge for the ice cream grows stronger still. Before we continue with the details of this example, and before we offer guidance to assist you in improving your situation, we want to explain something that most people do not understand and, in fact, have a hard time believing. Whether you gird up your willpower and walk out of the ice cream parlor, or whether you go ahead and select and eat a large tub of ice cream, there is absolutely no difference in the effect of one of those actions over the other. Even if we're talking about a thousand days of walking out as compared to one thousand days of eating a tub of ice cream, the action choice of one or the other makes no difference. It's not your action that matters, it's your vibration. It's not your action that makes you fat, it is your vibration. It's not what you're doing that makes a difference, it's how you're feeling about what you're doing. 
In the beginning of your vibrational alignment regarding your body weight, you may begin to feel enthusiasm for some changes in your diet. And many would say, well then, I don't see how this approach differs much from just going on a diet as I've done so many times before. But we would ask you to notice how much easier it is this time in the feeling of enthusiasm rather than the discouragement that you've been acting from before. You will also notice that in this state of improved emotion, you'll find an appealing idea and then another. You'll begin to find a sort of rolling out of a continuous path of good-feeling new ideas. You'll begin to feel carried along by these new ideas rather than struggling to find them, and before long you'll begin to see physical results. Of course, upon seeing the physical results, your feeling of enthusiasm will be even greater, and then you're really often running toward the outcome that you've been seeking. And as you achieve your desired body weight, and you will, you will say to yourself after the fact, this time it wasn't difficult, and this time I'll keep it off. And, in any case, I know what to do whenever I decide to about achieving whatever physical body condition I choose. Consider this. If being slender matches the emotion of happiness, and you were to consistently eat ice cream while feeling happy, you would be a slender person who eats large quantities of ice cream. If your desire to be slender, while you're currently not slender, matches the emotion of discouragement, and you were to consistently eat ice cream while feeling discouraged, you would be a fat person who eats ice cream. If your desire to be slender while you are currently not slender matches the emotion of discouragement, and you were to consistently use your willpower to keep yourself from eating ice cream, you would be a fat person who does not eat ice cream. Some would ask, Abraham, if being unhappy makes you fat, why are there no fat people in an environment where food is scarce? They are unhappy, and they are not fat. They're often starving to death. And we would answer, if you're focused upon the current situation of food scarcity, and you feel fear for yourself and your loved ones, you're a match to what you do not want. It makes no difference if not wanting to be fat is the issue that turns your thoughts upstream, or if the idea of starving to death is the issue that turns your thoughts upstream. Your thoughts are still upstream, which is resistance to what you desire, whether you desire slenderness or enough food for your family. Now, being slender matches the emotion of happiness. Downstream, being fat matches the emotion of unhappiness. Upstream, having enough to eat matches the emotion of happiness. Downstream, not having enough to eat matches the emotion of unhappiness. Upstream, the key to creating everything that you desire is to find a way to turn to the better feeling downstream thoughts even when the current situation does not evoke it from you and to use your willpower to focus your thoughts in the direction of your desire and who you really are rather than using your willpower to try to produce action against the current. So, in the beginning your thoughts may be something like the following. I am fat. Upstream. I don't want to be fat. Upstream. I am so tired of being overweight, upstream. I don't like how I look, upstream. I don't like my clothes, upstream. I don't want to shop for clothes, upstream. I've tried so many things, upstream. Nothing works for me, upstream. Remember, you do not have to fix everything. Just try to find a thought that feels a little better. I wish I could find a way. Downstream. My feet would feel better for sure. Downstream. Again, these are not earth-shattering statements, but they do feel better, and therefore they are downstream. So your work, for now, is done. Whenever you find yourself beating the same old drum about your body weight, 
If you would make an effort to turn your thoughts downstream and stay focused upon the subject until you feel a slight turn, in a very short period of time you will improve the vibrational relationship between where you are and what you want, and you will be amazed at the leverage this improved vibration will give to your process. Everything about this will get easier and easier until in time your desired body weight will have been achieved. So now, let's say you're at work. You've not been focused on your body or your weight because you had things to accomplish and you've been busy at those things. But now it's lunchtime, and as you're walking past the vending machine, you feel an urge to buy a cookie. You put in your money, the cookie drops through the chute, and while you're unwrapping it, the feeling of discomfort comes over you. Here I go again, you say, feeling the discomfort washing over you, but the urge is strong and you take a big bite of the cookie. You feel worse still as a strong feeling of disappointment now rises within you. But this time things are slightly different from ever before because you have some positive momentum going from those statements you have been making about the subject of your weight. You remember, it isn't about what I'm doing, it's about how I'm feeling about what I'm doing. So you pause and look at the cookie and you make the following statements. I shouldn't be eating you. Upstream. You'll only make me fatter. Upstream. You are delicious, though. Downstream. You're not all that big. Downstream. I could eat some of you now and save some for later. Downstream. I like having choices. Downstream. I like making deliberate choices. Downstream. I like being in charge of my actions. Downstream. If I had stopped to think, I may not have been so quick to put my money in this machine. Downstream. I'm really making quite a big to-do over eating a little cookie. Downstream. You're a tasty little cookie. Downstream. Well, I'm enjoying you, cookie. Downstream. I'm deliberately enjoying you. Downstream. And sometimes I'll choose to eat you, and sometimes I'll pass. Downstream. Right now, I'm going to eat you. Downstream. And I'm going to enjoy you. Downstream. You've just accomplished something that's rather unusual for you. You're eating a cookie, and you've talked yourself into alignment with yourself, and therefore with your desire to be slender at the same time. You are in alignment with you, which is much more significant than anything you're doing or not doing with a cookie. And now a very slender person walks up to the machine, pulls out a cookie, and begins to eat it. And as you watch, you can tell that this person is truly savoring this cookie. In the past, as you watched a slender person eating a cookie, your thoughts would be, it's not fair. Upstream. Her metabolism allows her to eat tasty things and still be slender. Upstream. She's probably unhealthy, and that's the only thing she'll eat today. Upstream. But this time, because of the vibrational work you've been doing, you think instead, ah, there is evidence of someone who is in alignment with her desire of eating a cookie. Downstream. It's all about vibrational alignment. Do not look for immediate, measurable, physical results. Instead, look for improvement in your mood, your attitude, and your emotions. When you feel better, you are more in alignment, and everything else will follow. It is law. This is the end of CD2. Example 3. My children fight constantly and they are driving me crazy. Example. We have two children, a boy, 12, and a girl, 13. They're great kids. They don't get into trouble at school and they get good grades, but they fight with one another constantly. They don't hit each other or anything like that, but if they're in the house at the same time, they argue and shout and slam doors all day, every day. 
They have their own rooms, so they don't need to bother each other, but they just seem to irritate each other so powerfully that they're making my husband's and my life miserable. We've tried everything, from forbidding them to go near one another to forcing them to spend an entire day together in one room to work it out. I actually hate to see them come home from school. It's very interesting to contemplate deliberate creation through the framework of interpersonal relationships, or co-creating as we like to call it. Many people get lost in the maze of trying to sort things out when it comes to getting along with others. It's virtually impossible to evoke enough long-term changes from another to ever solve your interpersonal relationship. Most people try to evoke change in the other for a while, but then either give up or move on. Asking others to change so that you can feel better never works. If we were speaking with one or the other of your children, we would not guide him or her toward asking the other sibling to change. But this situation is more complicated still. You are on the outside of it, so to speak, wanting to affect change between two individuals, and you are already sensing from the lack of success that you've had and from the variety of attempts that you've made at settling their differences that you cannot control their relationship with one another. People often attempt to gain control of the behavior of their children, their employees, or the members of their clubs, political parties, or churches by offering rewards for good behavior and punishment for bad behavior. But we've never seen any beneficial behavioral changes as a result of that. Rules and punishments that are affected from the outside usually only cause a hiding of the unwanted behavior or an even stronger defiant offering of it because people innately understand that they are not here living their lives to please others. We often explain that you are the creator of your own experience. That also means that you are not the creator of the experiences of others. They are the creators of their experiences. But we certainly understand that when they're creating their experiences under your roof, within the reach of your eyes and ears, their creation does affect yours, and therefore you should have something to say about the way in which that affects you. We also understand how when you observe a pleasing behavior in another, you are pleased, and when you observe unpleasing behavior, you are not pleased. We also understand how that is compounded even more when it's your own children you're observing. It is our absolute knowing that if you believe that your happiness depends upon your ability to control the behavior of any other, you will never find happiness, for control of others is not possible. There are many who spend their entire lifetimes attempting to gain control of another, only to discover that absolute control of another requires the giving up of much of their own freedom as they turn their undivided attention toward that impractical effort that wastes their life experience because it runs cross-current to the laws of the universe. Parents often feel such a strong need to guide their children that these words are hard for them to hear, for they believe that they've been entrusted with the care and guidance of their children, so they're often looking for the best way to provide them with some guidance. It is our desire that you come to understand that when you take the time to become fully aligned with all that you are before you attempt to offer your guidance, your influence is much more powerful. In simple terms, when you attempt to guide your children from your place of anger or frustration because you are out of alignment with you, your influence is flimsy. However, when you offer your guidance while you are fully connected to all that you are, it is powerful. You can find the humor in this if you'll try. My children's behavior makes me feel such frustration and anger that I lose my ability to guide them, and the harder I try, the more futile it becomes. But when you take the time to come into alignment with who you really are, you step into that powerful current that's flowing toward everything that you desire. Each time you witness the discord between your children, you launch a personal rocket of desire regarding their relationship. 
for from your personal vantage point, they provided you with detailed contrasting experiences which caused your personal preferences to evolve. And your personal preferences are your business. So now your work is simple. You must come into alignment with your desires. The reason why your children's squabbling is upsetting you so much right now is because that behavior does not match the ideal that all of their previous squabbling has helped you create. In fact, even before their birth, while watching the children of other people, you were flowing your desires into your vibrational escrow. Even before your physical birth, you were making entries into that vibrational escrow account. So it's no wonder that right now, as you witness something utterly opposite of what you've come to desire, you would feel the discord. It's not simply because they're practicing bad habits of behavior that it's upsetting to you. Your view of them is causing you to flow in opposition to your evolving creation on this subject. If you could accept that your discomfort is simply about your vibrational differences, what you're witnessing versus what's in your vibrational escrow, and not really about what your children are doing, over which you have no control, you will begin to show yourself that you can choose thoughts that allow you to feel good no matter what they're doing, and when you accomplish that, your power of influence will be tremendous. So, as it stands right now, you watch the misbehavior of your children, you feel bad, you think that you're feeling bad because of their behavior, but you're actually feeling bad because you are out of alignment with your own desires. So you ignore what your children are doing and utilize your personal ability to focus in a way in which you can feel good. And in doing so, you're now fully connected to who you are. And also, you're a vibrational match to the picture of happy children enjoying each other that you've been in the process of creating for a very long time. And with all of that alignment going on, you are in your full connection to who you really are, to the resources of the universe that creates worlds, to your inner being, and to the desires that you've set into motion regarding your children, your family, and your life. Now, your words and behavior are perfectly timed. They evoke less resistance from your children and affect more positive change. But you're not creating through your words or through your action. You are creating through your personal alignment with the vibration of your own desires. So, when you think about getting your son and daughter to behave differently, you can feel the uphill battle in that. But when you think about guiding your own thoughts, you can feel the possibility of that, even in time, the simplicity in that. So, wonderful things are about to take place in your experience. Not only are you going to feel better right away by deliberately choosing your own thoughts, but you're going to affect behavioral change in your children, with the help of the law of attraction, without anyone knowing that you're doing it. And, on top of all of that, through the power of your own example, you will teach your children the value and power of personal alignment. To show someone how to align with Source in the face of circumstances that do not easily inspire it is the most valuable guidance that you could ever offer to another. That is the only guidance you ever intended to offer your children, the power to guide their own lives. Let us begin the upstream-downstream process, and, as always, you begin where you are, for you cannot begin other than where you are. My children are driving me crazy. Upstream. They fight constantly. Upstream. I can't find a way to stop them. Upstream. They won't listen to me. Upstream. Someday, they'll regret the way they treated each other. Upstream. I don't know what to do. Upstream. I've tried everything I could think of. Upstream. It's natural that as you begin, your statements would be pointed upstream. 
But remember that your work in this process is not just to state the obvious or to try to figure out what action you could offer to change things. Your work is simply to find some relief for yourself in your own thoughts. Even the slightest feeling of relief is an indication that you've released some resistance. And with much less effort than trying to affect any sort of change of behavior in another, you can release your grip on your oars and your boat will turn in the downstream flow. More statements of relief will begin to occur to you, and in time you'll be flowing merrily along towards seeing an improvement in the behavior of your children. Your power of influence, your ability to evoke different behavior from others, is contingent upon your own alignment with your own desires. You must make yourself feel better before you can attract change. Their relationship is really between them, downstream. They're probably not feeling nearly as much negative emotion about their relationship with each other as I am downstream. If you were able to hold yourself in vibrational alignment with that last statement for a day or so, that would be enough of a shift in your vibration to begin to affect change. But since this last statement has just occurred to you, and it's not the way you usually think about this situation, it's likely that your thoughts will return to the more usual upstream thoughts. So, in order to hold your vibrational ground, so to speak, it's helpful to try to stay there longer by reaching for more statements of relief. The longer you remain in the improved feelings of relief, the more those better-feeling thoughts will attract other better-feeling thoughts until, in time, you will be in alignment with your own desire. They were very cute when they were little, downstream. They played very well together for quite a while, downstream. It is possible, as you're reaching for some thoughts of relief, that you'll come across a statement that you thought would make you feel better, but which actually makes you feel worse. Sometimes, in reaching for an improved thought, you only amplify how much you really want something that right now you do not have. And so instead of the feeling of relief that you were reaching for, you have an even greater feeling of discomfort. But this does not mean that you're losing ground in your downstream process. Remember, the way you now feel is relative only to the way you were just feeling. So see this as a fluid, flexible exercise whereby you can move anytime in the direction that you choose. Do not lose sight of your objective, which is to find relief, find relief, find relief. If a thought feels worse than the one before it, it's not a problem. Just reach for more relief. And in time, and usually a rather short time, you will find what you're reaching for. It's normal for kids to fight. This is a part of their deciphering of life. They have the right to respond honestly to their environment. They don't like feeling bad any more than I do. If they really don't like feeling bad, they'll figure out how to stop it. I'm going to quit adding my negative response to the mix. I'm going to let them work this out. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I really have been making more of this than it deserves. It's pretty funny how much I've been making of this. It feels good to get my perspective back. These really are great kids. We are all in this together. I like knowing that I have the power to control my own feelings. I like the idea of influencing my dear children to feel better. I like knowing that they get to choose how they feel. I love knowing that I get to choose how I feel about how they feel. Your awareness of your squabbling children has caused you to add to your vibrational escrow. Your desires regarding these intrapersonal family relationships have evolved tremendously because of your exposure to them, and now because of your willingness to turn downstream in the direction of that evolved relationship, you are flowing towards your ideals. Not only has nothing gone wrong here, 
everything is going along exactly as you knew it would as you made the decision to come into this physical body. You came to live life, to identify things that you desire, and then to give your undivided attention to those desires. That is what deliberate creation is all about. Example 4. I am totally disorganized. Example. I'd like to be an organized person, but I just can't seem to get it together. I have a variety of interests, and all of them bring a certain amount of stuff with them. So my house is so full of things that are interesting to me, to the point that every place I look, I see clutter. I seem to find the time to think of new projects and gather up more stuff that relates to them, but I don't find the time to put my things in order. I spend a great deal of time just looking for things. Occasionally I'll set a day aside with the intention of getting it all cleaned up and organized, but I get bogged down almost as soon as I begin because it just feels so overwhelming to clean it up. I know that I should throw most of it away, but I can't bring myself to do that for fear that as soon as I release it, I'll need it or want it for some reason. So I just keep gathering, and I'm buried in my stuff. I can't delegate these organizational tasks to anyone else because no one else knows what's important to me. And if someone else were to organize it, I still wouldn't know where things are. I know that I need to clean this mess up and get myself organized, but I feel paralyzed. Hmm. This is a good opportunity to point out the effect that the law of attraction has upon you in whatever your current situation is. You look around at the clutter, which causes you to feel overwhelmed, and because you feel overwhelmed, you're incapable of doing anything about the clutter. So perhaps you can now recognize that your work right now is not to deal with the mess, for you've already acknowledged that you're paralyzed and cannot deal with it. You have to first find a way of improving your emotional state, and once you're feeling better emotionally, you'll find a way of bringing the physical things into organization. In other words, you have to deal with the disorganization in your mind first, and then you can deal with the outward manifestations of it. Hmm. I should throw this stuff away. I must be crazy to have accumulated so much junk. What was I thinking? But when I do throw things away, before I know it, I realize I did really need them. It gets worse and worse. I've never been organized. These statements are all valid, and they are all upstream statements, and they do represent how you feel. But now, instead of making statements about how things are, or about how they have been, try to make statements that cause you to feel better. In other words, your goal here is not to make valid declarations of truth about what is, but instead to make statements that give you a feeling of relief. If you can find some consistent relief about the subject, your energy will shift and the feeling of being paralyzed will be replaced with good-feeling action ideas. An improvement in the way you feel means an improvement in the alignment of energies between you and your inner being, resistance or allowing, upstream or downstream. Hmm. I've done nothing wrong by pursuing my interest. It's logical that I would gather materials that support my interest. Many people have interests or hobbies that appeal to them. I can remember my enthusiasm upon finding much of this stuff, I can see how my interest in these subjects caused me to find things to support my interest. That's the law of attraction at work. I don't need to throw all of this away. There's nothing wrong with my gathering things that interest me. I'll find a way to store everything and catalog it so that I can find it when I want it. I don't have to do it all at once. I've been living with this for quite a while, and there's no urgency here. In time, I'll figure out what to do with it. In the same way I enjoyed finding these things, I will also enjoy organizing them. 
It is of value to notice that even though nothing has outwardly changed, the feeling of being overwhelmed has lifted because you've focused your thoughts back into alignment with who you really are. We want you to know that whenever you're choosing to think unkind thoughts about yourself or anyone, you're counter to your inner being who only feels love for you. When you degrade, scold, or criticize yourself, you are out of alignment with the greater part of yourself, and there are no greater crippling thoughts than those of self-denigration. When you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, you realign with who you really are. Some say that a refusal to look at your own shortcomings is a state of denial that is not healthy. We reply that pointing out your own shortcomings is the greatest state of denial, for it separates you from who you really are. Some people feel criticism for people who look for their own positive aspects, calling them arrogant or self-serving. We reply that to be self-serving is a good thing, for when you care enough to bring yourself into alignment with the greater part of who you are, while you have certainly served yourself, and you know that because you feel so much better, you are now in a position to be of value to others. But in your depression, you are of no value to any other, for you are separate from the stream of well-being from which you offer value. Example 5. My former partner tells lies about me. Example. I was married for more than 10 years, and we have a 10-year-old daughter. Last year we became divorced, and so my ex-husband and I share custody of our child. We live in the same city so that our daughter can move from house to house relatively easily. Also, we have the physical logistics of all that working pretty well. In our divorce agreement, we agreed that our daughter would be at my house during the week and go with her father on most weekends. She spends some weekends with me, but most with her father, and we take turns sharing birthdays and holidays regardless of whether they fall in the middle of the week or on the weekend. She's a great girl, seems to be doing all right with all of this, although when she comes home from being at her father's house, she usually feels out of sorts to me. She's often irritable, and I can tell that something's bothering her. It's recently come to my attention that her father often makes negative comments about me, which doesn't surprise me. I don't feel all that great about him either, but he just makes things up. Really, much of what I'm hearing is just pure fabrication, and I'm worried that he's telling these untruths to my daughter in an attempt to drive a wedge between us. I'm afraid that she'll believe him and that she and I will grow apart. I want to defend myself, but I don't know exactly what he's saying, so I don't know how to do that. And also, I don't know who else he's talking to or what he's telling them either. How can I make him stop doing that? Hmm. Since you were not able to find harmony with this person while you were married to him, we know that it's not really a surprise to you that you're having a difficult time finding harmony after your divorce, but it is possible. In fact, if you realize that the time you spent together actually caused both of you to expand in a variety of ways, you could both benefit dramatically from your relationship even though your marriage has come to an end. What we most want to help you understand is that while your marriage has come to an end, your relationship with this person has not, and it never will. That's one of the most unsettling things that people discover following a divorce or separation from a former partner. In the midst of feeling extreme negative emotion over some situation they're living, they think that the separation from this person will solve the majority of their problems. But most people find little or no improvement in the way they feel about their ex-partner after the divorce. In fact, most work so hard at justifying why the divorce was a good idea that they hold themselves in vibrational alignment with all those things about the relationship that they did not want. So now, even though they're no longer living in the same space, the other's uncomfortable presence remains a daily occurrence even when they do not actually see one another or interact face to face. And because their vibration did not change, 
Even though the physical details of their lives together did change, their next relationship is fraught with the same uncomfortable issues as was the last. Remember that this relationship, uncomfortable as it was, has caused you to evolve, and your inner being stands right now as the vibrational expression of that expanded being. If you can find good-feeling thoughts and train yourself through practice into vibrational alignment with those thoughts, you can benefit from the experience. But only in finding and maintaining better-feeling thoughts can you close that gap and actually be the expanded being that your life has caused you to become. Let us begin the reaching for some downstream thoughts. Begin where you are. I'm glad that I no longer have to live with him. I knew almost from the beginning that he wouldn't work. I don't know why I stayed there for so long. I'm not surprised that he's still trying to make trouble. I hate it that I can't defend myself against his lies. He's so insecure, and I don't think he'll ever change. I'll never be rid of the discomfort of this relationship. I'll always be tied to him because of our daughter. Better feeling thoughts do not gush from you just because you've decided that you'd like to find them because the law of attraction does not offer thoughts that are far from your active vibration. And since you've been thinking unpleasant thoughts regarding this person for quite a long time, you're not going to suddenly shift into wonderful feeling thoughts. But that's not necessary. All that's necessary is that you shift a little bit. All that is really necessary in order to begin turning in the stream and flowing toward an improved situation is that you discontinue pushing against it. It's really a matter of just releasing, as best you can, the uncomfortable thoughts. Each time you do so, you will feel a bit of relief that will seem to translate into a small amount of downstream momentum, making it now more possible to find another thought of relief, and so on. Your goal right now is to just stop paddling upstream. Stop trying to defend yourself or your position or your decision for the divorce or your rightness. Stop defending anything and just float in your boat. Like, I'm tired of the battle. I don't want to fight. Compared to the previous statements that flowed with such hostility, these statements are a big improvement, and so you do feel relief. It's not necessary that you continue in one sitting until you feel even more wonderful. Sometimes just letting go and discontinuing the upstream battle is enough. But if you feel like it and can continue just a little more, there's value in benefiting from any additional momentum that you manage to achieve. For instance, it's a good thing that we've divorced. No one is really to blame for that. It was something that we both agreed upon. I'm glad that we live close enough that our daughter can easily spend time with both of us. Things are better now that we're not all living in the same house. Sometimes, with only that much effort, you can break through into a much better feeling place. If that happens, take advantage of it and make even more positive downstream statements. Like, I understand that we'll always have a relationship. I do want to make the best of our situation. I don't want to deprive my daughter of her father. I don't believe that he wants to deprive her of her mother. I don't believe that I'm a big part of what they talk about. We have both moved on with our lives. I want my daughter to feel good about her parents. I want my daughter to feel good about me. I even want my daughter to feel good about her father. There's no reason for us to continue the battle. I really feel no interest in fighting. Now, it may seem that we've used words that have avoided the deepest issue of her father often makes negative comments about me. He just makes things up. Much of what I'm hearing is just pure fabrication. I also don't know who else he's talking to or what he's telling them. 
and that is accurate. We are deliberately avoiding the most uncomfortable issues in the beginning of the process, for in doing so, it is more likely for you to find relief through your improved thought. If you are aware of the way you feel, and you consistently reach for thoughts that produce the improved emotion of relief, in time, even these intense negative emotions will have subsided, not because your ex-husband has changed, but because you have come into alignment with who you have become as a result of this relationship. When you understand the value of closing your vibrational gap and of allowing yourself to be the expanded being that your life has caused you to become, you can actually reach a place of adoration of that scoundrel, X, who seemingly caused you so much grief. But all of that in good time. Example 6. My husband tells me how to drive. Example. I'm a good driver. I've never had an accident, and I do a lot of driving. I don't have the best sense of direction and am not really good at reading a map, but once I've driven someplace, I usually remember how to get there again. My husband and I spend a lot of time together in the car, and he prefers that I drive, but he wants to make all the decisions about my driving. He's constantly suggesting that I change lanes or that I get out from behind this big truck, he even wants to choose the way I navigate in parking lots. There are so many different choices that could be made while driving, most of which would lead to nearly identical results, that I just don't see why it's that much better to go this way to get out of the parking lot rather than that way. And sometimes, even though his approach may be somewhat better, it feels like the mind that's making the decisions isn't the one attached to the body that's maneuvering the car, so I feel constant discomfort as my natural impulses are continually being overridden by his instincts. I really believe that if he wants to drive, he should be behind the wheel, and when I'm driving, he should let me drive, and that there must be some happy compromise where he occasionally offers a helpful suggestion without overriding all of my inclinations. I'm constantly tormented, even in backing out of a parking place, wondering if my natural choice, based on how I see the car position, will mesh with his suggestion. It's not pleasant to drive under these conditions, and probably not safe. I find myself hesitating like a crazy person rather than just moving ahead with the decision that I've made. Hmm. It's important to note that the experiences that you're having are those of co-creation. In other words, your husband is not doing this to you, but rather the two of you over time have created this scenario. It may have begun during an incident where you really could not decide which way to go and your mate may have had a clear picture of the best course to take. Often a suggestion from another point of view can be very helpful. However, what's now occurring is that you're feeling so much agitation over the constant suggestions that you're out of alignment with yourself. And in this misalignment, you're acting hesitantly, which makes your mate feel the need to guide you all the more. So it's an uncomfortable cycle of you being out of alignment, so you drive with less efficiency and focus. He wants to help, which makes you more out of alignment, and so you drive with less efficiency and focus, so he wants to help, both of you have not only developed habitual patterns of actions and words, but also of thoughts and feelings about the situation. From your place of annoyance and frustration, you can find no solution. Your driving cannot improve, and we know that you see no reason to improve your own driving, for you do not believe that your driving is the problem. But you also have no way of soliciting anything else from your mate. And so unless you change the way you feel about this situation, nothing can improve. Many people watching this scenario might suggest that you just let him do the driving, or that you take separate vehicles, or tell him to mind his own business and keep his ideas to himself. But then, even you acknowledge that there are times when his suggestions are very helpful. It is not possible to orchestrate or legislate patterns of behavior without introducing a greater hindrance to the situation. 
In other words, if you were to tell him that you do not want him to interfere with your driving by giving you suggestions, you would deprive yourself of another point of view that you often find extremely helpful. It's not possible to say to anyone in any situation, I want you to always do this or always do that. For the sake of simplifying your lives, you often believe that you do want that, but it is truly not practical. What you really want is to align with your broader perspective so that you can receive the benefit of that broader view. What you really want is to be so aligned with the total resources of your being that you excel in whatever you're doing. It is our promise to you that when you are in alignment with your broader perspective, you are then acting from a place of deafness, clarity, and precision. Your instincts are sharp and clear, and you make good decisions. And even though your mate may still want to play with you in making the best possible choices as you move about in your vehicle, he would not be offering his suggestions to you because of his doubt in your ability, but instead in his desire to play and co-create productively. You have no way of changing your mate. You cannot modify your behavior enough to soothe that, but you can come into alignment with you, and when you do, everything will improve. So, once again, your work is the same. Make your statements from where you are, but make an effort to find better feeling, downstream thoughts upon this topic that align with who you really are. Some say to us, Abraham, it is annoying to say the least that every suggestion you offer is about what I need to do. You never suggest that the other people in my life make changes. I don't think it's fair that I'm always the one who needs to make the effort or make the changes. And we understand why it annoys you that our suggestions are always directed at you and the choices that you're making, but you can choose to look at that in either an upstream way or a downstream way. I have to do all the changing. Upstream. I hold the power to affect my own life. Downstream. When you think that others need to do something differently than they're doing in order to make your life better, you're really in a place of disempowerment because you cannot control the actions of others. So those thoughts are always upstream thoughts. But when you understand that you can control the way you feel because you can choose the thoughts that you think, and that with practice you can come into alignment with who you really are regardless of the topic, then not only are you in complete control of the way you feel, but your life must unfold in a pleasing way. Those are downstream thoughts. If you try to sort out why your husband behaves in the way he does, did he have a bad experience with past drivers? Does he feel bored if he's uninvolved? Does he have a control issue? Or am I really such a terrible driver that I evoke this reaction from him? You'll make yourself crazy. Things will only get worse. You do not have to understand the things that may have led up to this situation, but you must stop offering the vibration here and now that matches it. Observing what is only perpetuates it. Trying to figure out how it got started only perpetuates it. Taking action while feeling negative emotion only perpetuates it. An improved situation will only come once you have improved the way you feel. So begin where you are and reach for better feeling downstream thoughts. Notice the gradual improvement as you make a statement, and then try to make the next one even better feeling. I don't like the way my husband tries to guide my every move while I'm driving. If he's so sure he has all the right answers, he should drive. Sometimes he does offer a helpful suggestion. Since he doesn't have to watch where I'm driving, he can look around for alternative options. Two heads are often better than one. He's never unpleasant when I make a mistake while driving. He isn't trying to make me feel bad. His suggestions are well-meaning. When we flow together, we really do flow. It's nice to have an interested partner. 
It does feel like we're in this together. I appreciate his interest. I do appreciate his help. I'm a good driver. I'm a good driver with a good helper. We do make a good team. Example 7. I am not happy at work. Example. I've been working at this company for just under a year, and I do a good job here. It's a small family-owned business, and there are approximately 20 employees working here. Several of the employees are members of the family who owns the company, but most of us aren't part of the family. I'm the newest employee, and I was hired to do specific things, but since the company is small, it's easy to get involved in more than I was originally hired to do. I'm good at what I do. I'm faster than most people, and I really do like working here. I'm bothered, however, because I notice that most of my co-workers do far less than they're capable of doing. Everyone sort of holds back from accomplishing all they could do, and I can feel that they resent me when I try to do my best. When I try to do my best to apply myself, it's as if they think I'm setting a standard that's too high and that they'll now be expected to live up to it. And so I notice that they undermine me in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. I like all aspects of the work here, and I can pretty much step in anywhere and do anything that needs to be done, but I notice that most everyone else tries to guide their job activities in the direction of things they would rather do, and they continually shift less satisfying tasks toward me and a couple of other newer employees. I keep thinking I should say something about it, but I don't want to make trouble, and I don't want to be the target of their anger either. I'm thinking about leaving this place and getting another job somewhere else, but I've done that three times now, and I and I seem to find a similar situation in every job. So maybe all work environments are like this. Also, every time I go to a new place, I have to learn the new environment all over again, make a new place for myself, and start again at a lower wage. I don't know what to do. I don't want to leave, and I don't want to stay. I need to win the lottery. It's a value for you to acknowledge that there's a bit of a pattern happening here where you continue to find yourself in similar work environments. That happens because as you observe things about your present situation, wanted or unwanted, you activate those observed things in your vibration, and so the law of attraction brings them to you in your next environment, and so on. Whatever is most active in your vibration is what will continue to occur in your experience. Many people struggle with this idea because they find it difficult not to observe what's happening around them. And the problem with being such a tenacious observer is that when you're observing unwanted things, you are at the same time attracting more unwanted things. But there are positive aspects to seeing what you do not want. Whenever you see something you do not want, you automatically send a rocket of desire outward, for you always know more clearly what you do want when you're seeing something you do not want. So, as you're observing those things in your work environment that seem unfair or unjust or inappropriate, you are in those moments creating a vibrational escrow of an improved work environment, and your inner being has now focused its attention upon those improvements. And in fact, the negative emotions that you're feeling arise because you're still focused upon the unwanted what is, while your inner being has moved on to the thought of improvement. So, following the upstream-downstream process will help you get into alignment with what you now want from your work environment. For example, I don't think it's right that most people at work do so much less than their best. It makes me so uncomfortable to see them taking their money without doing their work. They seem to feel that if they show up for work, they've earned their paycheck. They seem to feel that they're being paid for being on the premises whether they actually accomplish anything or not. When I work in the way I believe I should work, I stick out like a sore thumb. The owners of the company have no idea what goes on in their business. 
I believe that if they knew, they'd fire almost everyone here. When you're having strong feelings about any situation, you'll most likely, in the beginning of the exercise, make several upstream statements that merely express how you are in this moment feeling. Remember that the law of attraction always shines a spotlight on whatever it is that is most active in your vibration. So it is natural that when you're irritated about something, those irritants are the thoughts that would most readily occur to you. And remember, too, that the purpose of the upstream-downstream process is to soften the hold these thoughts have on you and to simply turn downstream toward better-feeling thoughts. In time, with focus, your better-feeling thoughts will come to be what has the hold on you, so to speak, and your life will then begin to show constant signs of improvement. So now, continue to try to find some thoughts that give you a feeling of relief. I'm not at a critical point where I need to make a decision about staying or going. I don't really know what the company owners know or don't know about their employees. They aren't asking for my opinion, so I'm doing nothing wrong by not telling them what I see. I really know very little about the other people who work here. I don't really understand the motivation behind their actions. What others do or don't do really isn't my business. I like the variety in the work I do here. I can nearly always find something to do that's interesting. I can make whatever task I'm doing interesting to me. I'm actually only unhappy here when I'm pushing against something or someone. I do have the ability to keep myself happily in balance if I decide to. It's to my advantage to tune out others' opinions of me. I really have no way of accurately accessing others' opinions of me. I only have my opinion of their opinions of me. I can control my opinions if I decide to do it. Everything that I experience causes me to vibrationally ask with greater specificity for improved situations. So actually, everything in this job that bothers me just sets me up for an improved future experience. How fast I get to that improved experience depends only upon me and the thoughts of alignment or misalignment that I choose. I can choose upstream thoughts or downstream thoughts, but either way, they are my choices. Example 8. My husband and my teenage son do not get along. Example. I was married before, and I have a teenage son from that marriage. My current husband and my teenage son do not get along at all. They're not openly hostile, but my husband picks at my son constantly, trying to get him to do things that he doesn't want to do. My son is very bright and rather independent. When he's enthusiastic about something, he always excels, but he wants to do things on his own terms, and he doesn't like to be coached or guided. So it's like a constant power struggle going on between him and my husband, and I feel like I'm caught in the middle. My husband has very strong opinions about how children should behave, and he really gets crazy when he thinks that my son is disrespectful of him or of me. I don't agree with my husband's approach to this, yet I want to support him. I'm so weary of the battle. I honestly wonder if any mixed families ever really find happiness. Are there any step-parents out there who truly love their stepchildren? Hmm. While it's certainly understandable how unpleasant it feels to you to be caught in the middle of this situation, it could very well help you to finally come to understand something that's extremely important. It can be relatively easy to manage relationships with other people. In other words, as they ask things of you that will make them feel better, and you're willing to do the things that they ask, you can maintain a fairly agreeable relationship. As long as you meet the demands of most people, they'll like you pretty well. 
And for many individuals, that's the way they manage their relationships. One or the other takes the dominant role, the submissive one submits, and the dominant one dominates, and they more or less accept the roles that they have each chosen. It may be surprising to hear that the majority of relationships are like that to some degree. But when a third person, who now asks different things of you, is included in the relationship, the basis of your relationship is threatened. In your situation, you and your son had already established your relationship, and while you may not have realized it, your son had assumed the dominant role, and you had assumed the submissive role, which fits your personalities well. Since your son is self-reliant, and to a large degree self-sufficient, and since his life was working rather well, it did not feel necessary to you that you gain control. But when your new mate entered the picture and now wanted to assume the dominant role, that threw things out of balance. It's not so difficult for you to please only one person, but when there are two people who each want different things from you, you now must choose which of them you're going to try to please. And if they should be like most people, who believe that they feel best only when they evoke the response from you that they need, now you have real trouble, for you cannot serve them both. Under those conditions, the more people you're trying to please, the more you're failing at pleasing most of them, and the more uncomfortable everyone is. In some ways, it's flattering that they think enough of you to care what you think or how you behave. But it's a trap any way you look at it. You simply cannot live your life trying to satisfy the prerequisites of other people. And the only chance you would have at any success in such a scenario would be to dramatically limit your relationships. In other words, you would find yourself really only able to serve one master. It is our encouragement that you make a new decision. Although most likely the people in your life whom you've trained to expect certain behaviors from you will not like your new decision very much. Decide that from this point forward, you're going to work to find vibrational alignment between you and you. In other words, you're going to do your best to align your current thought with the furthermost expanded version of you, and you're going to leave everyone else and their opinions out of the equation. This new decision, while disruptive at first, will come to serve you enormously well because you just cannot stand on your head in enough different ways to please them all, and when you try, you will be miserable, and you will fail at pleasing them anyway. You must decide to please yourself in order to align you with you to become a vibrational match to your own inner being. When you are in alignment, then you have the most to offer others, but it will require their decision to come into their own alignment in order for them to receive satisfaction. Teach them that their happiness is their own responsibility, and in doing so, you will finally be free. So, as always, begin where you are and then make an effort to improve the feeling of your subsequent statements. For instance, my husband and my son don't get along. I don't think that they like each other at all. My husband is overly sensitive and heavy-handed when it comes to my son. My son deliberately makes things worse than they need to be. So that's how you've been feeling. Now try to find better feeling statements. Since this is an issue that comes up often in your life, you'll have ample opportunities to address it, and every time you take the time to try to turn downstream, even though there may be no obvious evidence of improvement, your personal alignment will have improved. And if you're steady in your determination to come into personal alignment about this issue, your power of influence will have an effect on the situation, and the physical evidence must come. Plus, you gain the bonus of feeling so much better about it even before they begin to act differently. It's really worth noting that a good part of their imbalance is caused by your response to what's going on. 
Both of them are using you and your reaction as a part of their justification for their own pushing against. And when you omit your discord from the mix, the whole situation will be soothed that much more. In other words, the fire may still be burning, but you will no longer be pouring your gasoline upon it. So continue by reaching for statements that give you some relief. For instance, these are both nice people. They're trying to find their place in this new family combination. There are many dynamics involved here, but I don't have to figure them all out. You could stop there. You do feel better. You've actually done your work for now. But if you feel like continuing, you could benefit from the momentum you now have going. For instance, I can see how I've been exacerbating the situation. And as I don't do that, it will begin to improve. Now that last statement may make you feel more uncomfortable than the last few because you're attempting to once again take responsibility for their relationship. Only you will really know if any statement feels better or worse. So just continue the effort of turning generally downstream. This too shall pass. My son will eventually go off and live on his own. This thought may be uncomfortable because you do not want your son to feel unwelcome and then to leave. So reword the statement and make it feel better. For instance, children want their independence. Most children want their independence long before they get it. It is natural for children to push against anyone who tries to rein them in. It is especially natural for children to resent any new person who tries to rein them in. Now, while this thought gives you relief regarding your son's behavior, it may make you feel worse about your husband's behavior. So now, try to find relief in that. This is all very new for my husband. I know he's doing what he believes is best for my son. He's trying to find his role in this new family. I can see how I can set the tone in all of this. When I don't let any of this get to me and I maintain my balance, I'll have a positive effect. We all want to feel good, and my feeling good, no matter what, has to make a difference. Feeling good can be contagious. I've always been good at lightening a mood. I love being playful. It's easy to take life too seriously. Nothing has gone wrong here. In the broad scheme of things, we're all doing extremely well. I'm going to enjoy watching the evolution of my desires. I'm going to enjoy experiencing the benefit of my personal alignment. I have no intention of controlling anyone, but it's going to be a lot of fun observing my power of influence. As you practice and achieve consistent downstream thoughts, your power of influence is tremendous in comparison with the power of your influence when your energies are split. The struggle you've been feeling contributed to the clear desire you were setting forth. And by practicing these downstream thoughts, you now come into alignment with the expanded version of these relationships. This is the end of CD3. Example 9. Since my father died, I cannot find my balance. Example. My father died over a year ago, and I still haven't gotten over it. I really don't understand why I feel such grief. I hadn't lived with him for over 20 years, and in the recent past, I've rarely seen him, maybe once a year for the last several years, and then only for a brief visit. And even then, we didn't really have much to say. We had very little in common, so why would his death be so upsetting to me? Even while you're in your physical flesh, blood, and bone body, you are more a vibrational being than anything else. While the vibrations that you're offering today could be fresh and new because of what you are currently focused upon, 
Most people carry many residual vibrations from past experiences simply because it's easier to continue the vibrational momentum of a thought than it is to choose a new direction. For example, if something had been bothering you, and you had been thinking about it for a few days, and then you engaged in conversation with someone who was in agreement with your complaint, and so joined you in a lengthy, detailed discussion about it, it would be much easier for the two of you to continue your discussion about this uncomfortable topic than to change the subject. And if others were to join you, they would most likely either be drawn into the same subject because of the intensity that the two of you had amassed, or they would get up and leave the conversation but it is unlikely that they would be able to introduce another subject that was very far from the discussion that was already underway. In a similar way, as you are a child, in learning to offer vibrations in response to the environment that surrounds you, you become set in your vibrational ways, so to speak. And because you often remain in those environments for many years, and because your parents often set the vibrational tone of your shared home, you develop patterns of thinking, of vibrating, of responding to life that you learn in those very early years. And since it's easier to continue the momentum of those vibrations than to change them, most people, even though they eventually do leave the home of their parents, take many of those vibrational habits with them. While you are probably not aware of it, much of the way you respond to life today has a great deal to do with your very early awareness of physical life. In physical terms, you learned your worldview early on, and since it was easier to continue with it than to change it, your worldview really did not change very much as you moved through time. Now, this does not mean that you agreed with all the ideas of your parents. We actually are talking about vibrations that are even deeper than what you would call ideas. Concepts such as stability, safety, or well-being were nurtured in your early environment, even if that environment, by the standards of the world, was regarded as substandard. In fact, since all things are relative, your sense of well-being in life is deeply rooted in those early vibrations of your childhood. And, at many unconscious levels, you've been keeping those vibrations active as you've moved through time. Since the law of attraction responds to the vibration of your being, and since your current vibrations have some active patterns that reach far back into your past, you are, in that way, still tied to your past. However, you are a multifaceted being, and you're living a very full and active life now. So, while you still maintain that vibrational basis that is rooted in your childhood, your vibrational nature has matured and evolved such that today you're offering many vibrations that do not relate to your past. And since this has been a gradual evolution, you really have not noticed it. So you continue to reach into the future, aligning with the new thought patterns and maintaining your stability. That is the process of evolution that all beings experience. With the death of your father, your attention shifted from your present life to your past. In other words, for a short period of time you focused upon, you remembered, you pondered experiences from your childhood. You talked with people you had not spoken to or even thought about in years. And in the intensity of those few days, you reactivated your vibrational past, which is not a match to your vibrational now. That is why you feel out of balance. So, your life has continued to cause you to ask for more, you have launched those continuing rockets of desire into your vibrational escrow, and you have done a pretty good job of keeping up with what you are becoming. But suddenly, with the death of your father, as you look back instead of forward, you definitely turned upstream, and that never feels good. If you are like most people, you have lived some version of the following scenario. You were born, your life caused you to identify your own desires, but your unique desires were sometimes not found to be pleasing by your parents. They tried to guide you. Sometimes you yielded, sometimes you did not. 
When you felt strongly about something, you prevailed. And when they felt strongly, they prevailed. But mostly, you prevailed because it was your life, not theirs. But as long as you were doing things just to please them or anyone, you were out of balance. And then when you did things that matched your own desire, you came back into balance. As time went on, what your parents thought about things became less of a factor in your vibrational balance because you did not discuss things with them as much. You turned your attention to things that did not involve them, and they turned their attention to things that did not involve you. It is always easier to establish and maintain the balance of your vibration when you're not trying to integrate into the mix what other people want from you. And if you'll take the time to bring your vibrations into alignment, then the law of attraction won't bring people into your experience who are out of alignment with you. But if you're not in alignment with yourself, you can attract quite an interesting mix of others. It is a common thing for a person to feel relief as they leave one uncomfortable environment, but then before they establish their vibrational balance, they plunge headlong into another relationship that has similar components to the last. Often, a girl who has a very controlling father will physically leave that environment only to then marry a very controlling husband. So, although the faces and places have changed, her overall experience remains the same. Now, let's consider the vibrational components of your relationship with your father in connection with upstream-downstream. While your relationship with your father has changed through time and your vibrational balance regarding it has continually evolved, you have no choice other than to begin right where you are. It is likely that you'll recognize many of the thoughts that will emerge during this process as things that you've thought about in the past, things that have been lying dormant, so to speak, that have re-emerged now that your father has died. It's important to understand that the fact that you're feeling emotions around the thoughts now means they're active now. And if the emotions that you're feeling are uncomfortable, that means the thoughts that are causing them are pointed upstream. And any upstream thoughts are running counter to your natural direction and the evolution of your being. So it's very helpful to soften those thoughts, find relief, and get your boat flowing in the direction of who you really are. That is your goal with this process. I feel out of sorts. I'm truly depressed. I wasn't ready for the death of my father. I had no control in that. I'm sorry I didn't spend more time with him. Neither one of us really enjoyed spending time with the other. I don't actually know what he was thinking. I don't know what he really wanted. I wish his life could have been more satisfying to him. These thoughts are a true depiction of how you currently feel, and all of them are clearly pointed upstream, and there's nothing wrong with that. Under the circumstances, it is normal. But even so, you're not going with the flow of your being. So try to find thoughts that give you relief. I always wanted a better relationship with my father. I should have tried harder. I don't know what I should have done differently. We didn't have a bad relationship. I'm not sure we even had what you would call a relationship. Hmm. Not much improvement yet, but your desire to find relief is growing, and you're gathering a bit of momentum that could pay off, so keep going. Hmm. Our relationship was what it was, and we're only one facet of each other's multifaceted lives. Well, I wasn't born to live my life for him, nor was he born to live his life for me. Well, maybe nothing went wrong. Maybe it just was what it was. 
You're feeling better. You've stopped paddling upstream for the moment. Hmm. But still, I wish I could have... Upstream, try again. Hmm. That was an important basis of my experience, but there's been so much more. I'm thankful for the early basis that my parents provided. I cannot go back and relive my life. I don't want to go back and relive my life. That's better. Keep going. There are so many things that I could think about. There are many positive aspects to my life experience. My past will always be a part of me, but my now is what matters most. I'm quite happy about the way my life is unfolding. I did get off to a pretty good start. There may be different layers of vibrations that will surface, but now you know what to do when they do. Often when a parent dies, your own sense of mortality is awakened and a feeling of life is too short begins to surface. There are endless scenarios that may occur that could cause you to feel moments of discomfort. But your work, whenever that happens, is to recognize that the uncomfortable thought is upstream. And now, just reach for a thought that feels a little better. Often, it's not until the death of a parent that you take the time to bring your vibrations into alignment. Since a very strong basis of your vibrational offering began back then, while you were living at home with your parents, it's very common for many patterns of thought that hinder you today to be tied to that period of your life. Often the death of your parent can be a major turning point in your own life experience if you'll take the time to identify those uncomfortable thoughts and turn them downstream into feelings of relief. Years of unrecognized patterns of resistance can easily be released through this process. It is our expectation that you will reach the place where not only will you feel better than ever in your now, but you will have established such a clear vibrational connection with the being you've evolved to that you'll be reviewing your childhood and your past through those eyes of connection. And then your childhood recollections will be the sweet memories that you've always wanted them to be. Hmm. I had a wonderful childhood. It was good in so many ways. I appreciate my parents who gave me the avenue into this wonderful life. They provided the avenue and then set me free to create my own life experience. Life is good. Hmm. There are many things that happen in life that have the potential of producing strong negative emotions in you as you focus upon them. And the majority of those things are completely outside of your control. You cannot prevent your father's death, and you cannot change his personality either. But by developing the pattern of always reaching for the best-feeling thought you have access to right now, by caring about the way you feel and deliberately turning in the direction of your natural current, you can live a joyous experience regardless of the circumstances that surround you. Example 10. I am a teenager. Example. I'm still in high school. I live at home with my parents, and I think I'm a pretty normal kid. My grades are okay, and even though I actually hate school, I have lots of things that I'm interested in and have a couple of really good friends. My parents scrutinize everything I do to the point that they're driving me crazy. I have to get their permission to do every single thing I do, and they always act like I'm doing something wrong or planning on doing something wrong. And so I not only never feel good when I'm with them, but I actually dread going home. I wish I could just leave home now and live on my own and do what I want to do. But I know that I should finish school and figure out how to support myself before I do anything like that. I wish that my parents would just leave me alone. I feel guilty half the time, and I'm not doing anything wrong. What's up with them, anyway? Why don't they just live their lives and let me live mine? 
we could ask you to stand in the shoes of your parents and try to understand their perspective a little bit, and you might get some of the answers to your questions. But you cannot ever see through someone else's eyes, and trying to see them from the perspective of another is not a good idea anyway, for it only serves to add confusion to the vibration within you. Of course, others often do have good ideas that you may want to integrate into your own creative process, but it's much easier to personally sort out the details of life one by one, including the aspects that match your overall intentions, rather than trying in one fell swoop to just live life the way someone else does. That, in a very few words, is what goes wrong with most parent-child relationships. Your parents usually believe that they're much older and wiser because of the life experiences they've lived, and they want you to benefit from the wisdom that they've accumulated over time. Parents are often the first ones to forget that you are the creator of your life experience. Because you and your well-being have been important to them from the time of your birth, they often see you and your life as their creation, and that's where you run into trouble. Through the living of their lives and the watching of yours, they've launched their own desires relative to your well-being and your life, and then they often feel a need to control your behavior so that it matches the vision that they've created of you. If we were visiting with them right now, we would encourage them not to do that, and we would guide them back into their own personal vibrational alignment. But we're not addressing your parents right now. In the same way that we would want your parents to understand that it is not the job of you, their child, to modify your behavior in order to please them, we're saying to you that you must not ask your parents to modify their behavior in order to please you. We know that it feels to you as if it is their behavior that is causing your discomfort, but if you can come to the realization that you do have options about their behavior, then and only then will you discover a sense of freedom right where you stand. But if you believe that they need to change, which they are not likely to do, before you can feel better, then you truly feel trapped. And so the feeling of wanting to run away from it all is certainly understandable. As you begin to reach for more downstream thoughts, you're going to come into alignment with the expansive being that your life has caused you to become. And as that alignment occurs, you will be clear, confident, eager, and happy. These are all things that your parents desire for you. And as you offer those attitudes in greater frequency, your parents will begin to feel better, and they'll back off. Now, you may say, but I'm doing all the work. I'm working to adjust my thoughts so that I'm coming into alignment, so I'm feeling better, so I'm behaving in a way that's more pleasing to my parents, and all they're doing is enjoying my changed personality. What about them doing something to make me feel better? Again, if we were visiting with them, we would guide them toward their own alignment, and we would be reminding them that they really have no control over your behavior. But we want you to understand that when you believe someone else must do something different so that you can feel better, you're truly at a disadvantage for you have no control over what they do. When you understand that the way you feel has only to do with the alignment of your own thought energy, and you work to bring yourself into alignment, independent of anyone else's behavior, now you are empowered. Now you really are free. So we do not encourage trying too hard to understand another's point of view, even though that sometimes does soothe you, because in many ways, our attempt at soothing you is not so different from their changing their behavior to please you. And while most people think that this is what they really want, it is our desire that you come to understand that under all conditions, that is counterproductive. If you become dependent upon being able to solicit improved behavior from others in order to make yourself feel better, you're really going about life the hard way. It is limiting at best and debilitating at worst. 
When you understand that you can control the way you feel because you can control the downstream direction of your own thoughts, now you are continually in alignment. Now you consistently feel good. You come back into your own power. Your power of influence is tremendous, and you thrive all around. We want to also add that controlling your own direction of thought, which improves the way you feel, is relatively easy. While getting someone else to change their behavior is extremely difficult, if not impossible. We're going to describe some situations that might occur and your subsequent responses to them. Then we'll show you how to make an effort at turning your thoughts more downstream. You have announced to your parents that you're planning to go somewhere with one of your friends. You know that ultimately your parents will not stop you from going, but you're met with their usual disagreeable sarcasm, not only about your choice of friends, but about your choice of activity. And you think, how do you know what's of value for me? How would you know what's fun for me? I don't think you guys know what's fun. I'm not sure you've ever had fun. While these thoughts are understandable, given the attitude your parents have projected at you, they are still all upstream thoughts. You don't understand my life. You don't give my friends a chance. I don't see you making any effort to understand. Hmm, understandable, but still upstream. Do not ask your parents to change so that you can feel better. Try to make yourself feel better on your own. Well, I don't need you to like my friend in order for me to like him. Through my own experience, I've shown myself that he's a good friend. At least you're not actually trying to control my experience. And once I leave and meet my friend, I'll begin to have a good time. I guess I can understand that your motives are good and that you do want what's best for me. You are now feeling better. But I don't think that you have any way of really knowing what's best for me. That's more upstream. But I can't blame you for trying. I'm still going to go. You're not going to try to stop me. Things could be a lot worse. I guess I don't have it so bad. In this process, nothing has really changed in the sense that your parents are still giving you a hard time and you're still going out in spite of their subtle protest. But because of your effort to try to turn downstream, your vibrations are in a better place than usual. And so, as you go out with your friends, you do not feel the usual rebellious feeling surging through you. You feel lighter and freer, and your fun with your friend gets off to a better start. This time, you make no negative comments whatsoever to your friend. You do not look back at the house or home or parents from which you've come. You just step into your current experience with a lighter step, and you have a better time than usual. And so, when the night out is over and you're heading home, you do not dread your return as much as before. It is possible that your vibration has changed so much that your aligned energy affected your parents. You may find them both asleep in bed rather than propped up in the living room waiting up for you. And whether you see any obvious evidential change right now or not, you did feel better, and that indicates change, and that is enough. Example 11. My friend talks about me behind my back. Example. I'm in high school. And I have a friend, she's been my best friend as we've been growing up, who for some reason seems to be deliberately trying to ruin my life. She acts like she's still my friend when she talks to me, but then I hear things that she's been saying about me from other people. She tells others that I say things that I don't say just to try to get me into trouble with them. The worst part of it is, I don't know who she's talking to about me or what she's telling them, and so I can't defend myself. 
And now I'm totally paranoid because I worry that everyone I see has heard one of her lies. Why is she doing this, and how can I make her stop it? We know that you do not want to hear this right now, but we want you to understand that you're asking the wrong questions here. If you spend much time trying to figure out why she's doing this, you'll only hold yourself in the vibration of it longer and begin to attract more of it, until you may find yourself with more than one friend behaving in this way. Trying to get another person to stop doing something is truly a futile endeavor, because even if you had the physical strength or clout to demand a behavioral change, in that effort you offer a vibrational output that completely contradicts your true desire, and you only get even more out of balance. Instead of asking others to change their behavior, your power is in your changing your reaction to their behavior. You have no control over their behavior, but you do have complete control over your reaction to it. As you give your attention to something, you activate a vibration within you that matches whatever you're focused upon. So if you're focusing upon something that aligns with who you really are, you feel good when you focus upon it because the two vibrational aspects of your being are aligned. If whatever you're giving your attention to makes you feel bad, it means that the two aspects of your being are out of alignment. As you understand that the alignment within you is all you need to pay attention to, and as you work to maintain that alignment, not only will you feel good more of the time, but also more of the things in your life will go the way you want them to go. Many people, as they realize that we're asking them to do the changing by controlling their own point of focus, complain, but what about the person who's telling the lies? Shouldn't something be done about that? Why are you asking me to adjust my thoughts when she's the one who's doing something wrong? The answer to those valid questions is very simple. If your happiness depends upon changes that others make, then you will never be happy, for there will always be a need for more people to make more changes. As you look around, you'll see a never-ending number of things over which you have no control. But if you'll learn to turn your own thoughts in the direction of your own personal vibrational harmony, you'll achieve a personal alignment within yourself. And not only will you feel better in that alignment, but in that alignment you'll be offering a single powerful vibrational signal to which the law of attraction is responding. And no matter what the intentions of others are, even if their intentions are about you, they will not be able to override the powerful current of alignment that you have achieved. We like to say that when you are tuned in, tapped in, and turned on to the source energy that is truly who you are, and when that's your state of being, only that which you consider to be good can be your experience. You simply tune those with negative intentions out of your experience. When someone is deliberately telling lies about you, it is an indication of their lack of self-appreciation, for no one who is in alignment with their source energy would do such a thing. Many would suggest that you do what you can do to help this person feel better, especially since she's been your friend for such a long time. That may very well be something that you would like to do, since you may want her to begin feeling better, but it is important to realize that if you attempt to offer your soothing from your awareness that your friend is out of balance, that you will amplify the out-of-balance aspect of your friend, and things will just get worse. You must see the positive aspects of your friend in order to help her. And before you can see the positive aspects of your friend, you must be in alignment with who you really are. So the process of reaching for thoughts that provide downstream relief is a process to help you feel better. And if you will focus only upon feeling better, you will have done all that is necessary and all that you can do. And it is enough. So, begin where you are. My so-called friend makes things up to deliberately make trouble for me. I don't know why she's doing that, and I don't know how to make her stop. She's no longer really my friend. 
A friend wouldn't do that to a friend. Mm -hmm. Valid and true, but not helpful. Reach for some thoughts that give you some relief. People tend to believe negative rumors. I don't know who she's been talking to or what she's actually saying. Well, this might be true, but you have no way of controlling any of that, so you're only holding yourself in an upstream resistant position by pointing that out. Remember, your objective is to find relief, not to restate the existing condition. She isn't talking to everyone. If she's constantly negative, people who want to feel good will avoid her. Many people are able to consider the source even when they hear negative conversation. People probably aren't as interested in spreading negative gossip about me as I might think. Well, I'm actually not the center of everyone's world. This shows slight improvement in the way you feel. Try to benefit from the slight momentum you've begun. This could very well be a wonderful opportunity for you to tune your thoughts to the most positive aspects of the people in your circle of friends. If one of them were to hear one of these negative rumors from your disruptive friend and confront you about it, if you are in alignment with who you really are, she would be able to tell right away that you were not part of the rumor. But when you're angry about it and feel defensive, it is not possible to determine if you started the rumor or just felt angry about it after you heard about it. Your vibration is the same either way. If you tune your thoughts to the most positive aspects of the people you know, in time, no one would even think of believing that a negative rumor about you had any truth. They would simply say, if they were to hear such a rumor, that doesn't sound like her. I don't believe she would say that. And they would be right. I want my friend to feel better. It's so nice to have really good friends. Everyone has good days and bad days. I like knowing that good days can predominate. I like knowing that the law of attraction sorts it all out. And I like knowing that nothing to the contrary of the law of attraction could ever happen. I like knowing that I can control how I feel. And I'm all right in knowing that I cannot control how others think or feel. I hope my friend feels better. I'm not worried about it. It's all good. Example 12. I have so little money with no improvement in sight. Example. My friend called wanting me to go get something to eat and go to a movie, but I couldn't afford to do it. It isn't just that I don't think I should spend the money. I really have no money. I get paid in two more days, but for now, I'm broke. I have enough to eat in my apartment, not anything very good, but I have several cans of soup, cereal, and some granola bars and peanut butter and crackers, so I won't starve. But I'm so tired of having no money. Some of my friends have more money than I do, and they don't even have jobs. Their family sends them money. How sweet that is. I want to go back to school so I can get a better job, but that takes a long time before it makes any difference. And meanwhile, I can't see how I'll be able to work and go to school at the same time. I wish someone would give me some money. Whenever you're in the middle of some very vivid life experience, it's hard not to notice it. It's logical that you would have a keen awareness of how much money you have right now because your financial situation affects so much of your life experience. Many things that are important to you are tied to your financial state. But while we understand that it is not likely that you could just stop noticing the fact that you currently have no money, we do want you to begin to understand that you have options about how you feel about your situation. In other words, you could have no money and feel terrified or angry, or you could have no money and find it amusing. Most discover that the way they feel depends upon the circumstances. Like, if I have no money right now, but I'll be paid soon, I would feel much better than if I have no money right now, and have no way of knowing when any will come. Most people feel the way they do at any point in time because of their awareness of how things are. 
When things are going well, they feel good. When things are going poorly, they feel bad. And that is the reason why so many people feel a need to control the conditions around them. We understand how enticing it is to attempt to control conditions because through action and effort, you can control some conditions to a certain extent. But when you begin to see your world and your life from the standpoint of vibration and you put more of your effort toward vibrational alignment and less toward physical action, you'll discover the leverage and power of thought. You will discover what the wealthy and influential people of your world have known and applied throughout history. Some very good things are happening to you while you're writhing in the discomfort of not having enough money. For from that uncomfortable place of knowing what you do not want, you are launching rockets of desire for what you do want. You want a greater feeling of security, and you want more money. You want to discover enjoyable activities that can produce revenue for you. You want to be able to afford things and experiences that are pleasing to you. In other words, your current situation is the basis from which you're asking for many things, and those things, because of your asking, are lining up for you even while you're writhing in a state of discomfort. However, as long as you're feeling the discomfort, you do not have access to what you've asked for. Your discomfort means that you're pointed upstream, while the things you're asking for are all downstream. You have to find some downstream thoughts regarding you and money, and until you do, nothing will change for you. And so, try to find a thought that gives you a slight sensation of relief. Like, I'll get paid on Friday, and then I'll have some money. There's a sense of relief in that thought, but it may be short-lived because you're so aware of your usual pattern. You get paid and have money for a few days, you spend the money quickly, and then you end up in that uncomfortable place again. And your discomfort is not only about not having enough money right now, it's also about not having enough money to last or enough money to really live the way you want to live. You may feel unhappy with yourself that you did not apply yourself more diligently earlier in your life, having no college degree yet and no career choice yet, even though friends your age have those things. You may feel resentment that your parents did not provide more support for you once you reached college age, or that your family had no business to include you in, or that you had no inheritance to look forward to. Often the subject of money has many deep-rooted ties that you must find relief from, or you will not allow yourself to turn and flow in the direction of the desires that your life has helped you to identify. In other words, it's really worth spending the time to find relief whenever you're keenly aware of negative emotions, because every time you make the effort, you release a bit more resistance. In time, you can actually become resistance-free, even on subjects like money that have so many connections to resistant thoughts and feelings. Remind yourself that you are where you are, and that is fine. Just plunge into the process from right where you are, making your statements, whatever they may be, and then work to find more relief in your statements in an effort to turn downstream. For instance, I do get paid on Friday, but I'll probably be broke again by Monday. I don't make enough money to live very well at all. So, you are where you are, and this is how things are. But you can feel better than this if you'll make an effort. I do have a job. I don't like it very much. I didn't have a hard time getting this job, however. It came to me relatively easily. I did have and still do have other job options. I do think I could get a better job if I really wanted to. Here you have a very slight improvement, but that's a very good thing, because even that much improvement opens a door to another level of improved ideas. For instance, this job seemed like a good fit at the time. Although I wanted a better job, this was, at the time, about all I could really see myself doing. My ideas of what I would like to do have changed. I could do better if I wanted to. 
Now, your words in this last sentence are about the same as the last sentence in the earlier grouping. However, this time, you're feeling them more. Your relief is obvious now. Hmm. There are good-paying jobs that I'm capable of getting. Well, if that guy can earn more money, I can too. Everyone has to start from where they are. There are lots of self-made millionaires. Look at me, going from no money at all to thinking about self-made millionaires. Now, nothing has changed today in the amount of money that you have in your possession, but wonderful things have changed vibrationally in the last few minutes. We want you to understand that the difference in the way you felt and the way you now feel is the difference between no money and millions, but it will take more than one exercise to cause a consistent enough change that you'll see results. In other words, what you did just now is enough if you could maintain this freer, more secure, even humorous feeling that you have about money right now, but it's likely that the circumstances of your life will get your attention and you'll revert back to your more usual feelings about money. If you will sit with this improved feeling for a while and make a decision that you're going to use it as a downstream touchstone, and if you'll make a consistent effort to turn toward the thoughts of relief that are downstream, in a very short time you'll train your vibration into alignment with the desires that you have. And then, not only will you begin to consistently feel more financially secure, but your actual financial picture will begin to reflect those vibrational changes. There will be a time, not far from now, when you will experience money flowing to you so abundantly and easily that you'll find it humorous that you held it away for so long. Now, continue reaching for the better feeling thoughts. I always have enough money for whatever I want. I want many expensive and wonderful things. I now understand that whatever I want is easily available to me. I have only to identify it, and it comes to me. I now understand the ease that I have seen in the financial situation of others. I can now remove money from the equation. When my life helps me to understand that I desire something, the perfect circumstances to achieve it appear before me. I can always feel which paths for achievement will please me most. It's interesting to me how many different paths are offered to me now. There's so much variety, each path nice in a different way, but all leading to the financial success I seek. So, if you've been following this by taking your time and trying to find some of the feelings that we were projecting in these foregoing statements, you've come a long way from a position of no money to financial independence. You are where you are. It doesn't matter how much or how little money you have in relationship to others. There are no limitations for you. Your own life is helping you define your current goals, and when you find relieving downstream thoughts, you will achieve them. Universal laws support you in this. The law of attraction will continue to show you the path of least resistance, and the ways in which your life will improve are unlimited. Example 13. I cannot find a mate. Example, I've been ready to settle down in a relationship for a long time, but I can't find the right girl. In fact, I've dated many people who want me to commit to them, but I don't feel that way about them. Now, I'm almost afraid to date anyone because I can't find anyone who really pleases me, and I don't want to hurt their feelings by rejecting them. It was easier when I wasn't looking for anything serious, but now I don't know what to do. If I don't date, I'm not likely to find someone, but dating isn't working out well at all for me either. When you really want something and you're looking at something that opposes it, you always feel negative emotion. When you really want something and you believe you cannot achieve it, you also feel negative emotions. 
But if you do not really care about something and you're offering thoughts contradictory to it, you do not mind that so much. In other words, if someone you did not know were to call you on the phone and explain that this would be the last time they would ever call you, you would feel no negative emotions. When your desire for something is strong, your feelings around it are strong. When you are focused upon thoughts that have you flowing downstream toward your desire, you have strong, good-feeling emotions. But when you are focused upon thoughts that have you pointed upstream and away from your desire, you have strong, bad-feeling emotions. Your desire for a significant long-term relationship has, over time, become very strong, and that's a good thing. And in your positive expectation of things working out for you, circumstances and events will occur that will bring your perfect mate right to you. But what goes wrong with so many people who are now in the position of really wanting their mate to show up is that they try to force the creation of the relationship by fixating on someone and trying to make this individual that perfect mate. Then, as they see evidence of things not going well, they lose their downstream direction and things get worse and worse. If you could establish a less serious, more playful approach to your relationships, not trying to make each of them the one I'm looking for, but instead saying, this is someone with whom I'm having the pleasure of sharing a meal, or someone with whom I'm enjoying a conversation, or someone I'm having a good time with today, then you wouldn't use this moment in time as your excuse to defy your own intentions and desires, and the universe would more easily and quickly provide the rendezvous you're looking for. When you trust the laws of the universe and the fluid, life-giving, productive stream of life, you'll find everything you're looking for. But in your belief that you must make it happen through action, you often hold yourself crossways with the current, and you hold yourself apart from your own expansive desires. When you're truly lighthearted about the people you spend time with, you will attract other like-minded, lighthearted people. But if you are seriously scrutinizing all of them to see if they are your dream mate, you will attract other scrutinizers, and you'll just continue to disappoint each other. When you bring yourself to a good-feeling attitude about meeting people, and you're looking forward to going out on a date for the sake of the fun or pleasure you'll have today, rather than trying to parlay it into a lifetime relationship, you will be much more likely to remain a vibrational match to what you really want in a relationship, and then the universe will more quickly bring you your perfect mate. When you feel tense and worried about finding someone, or when you're worried about a person wanting you while you do not feel the same way, you're pointed in the opposite direction of what you're looking for, and you are a vibrational match to the very thing you do not want. And so the very thing you do not want continues to be your experience. Sometimes it's difficult to accept the simplicity of this powerful understanding, but it really is this simple. If you're having a good time, and are feeling good right now on this date, even though this person is clearly not the woman of your dreams, you are pointed downstream toward what you want. But if you're not having a good time on this date because you see that this person is wrong for you, or you're worried about this person feeling sad because you'll not choose her, you're not pointed downstream, and you're not closing the gap. You must find a way to feel good now, even in the apparent absence of something you want, in order to get to what you want. And even though you may have endless valid excuses for not feeling good right now, we would find a way of minimizing those excuses and of feeling good right now. For until you're able to consistently feel good, you cannot get to where you long to be. We'd make a decision to make every date, every conversation with a potential partner, every thought about a potential partner, every thought about relationships flow downstream. We would practice relief until our thoughts naturally turn downstream. And then, not only will you be living a refreshingly good-feeling life, 
Not only will other happy people begin flocking towards you so that you can joyously spend time together, but in a very short time, someone will easily and effortlessly appear in your experience, and you will both know that you are the answer to one another's desires. And when that happens, there'll be no game playing. Neither of you will tease the other. You won't play hard to get or say, I love you, but I just need you to change this one little thing for me. You will see one another as the perfect answer to the perfect question that you've been assembling for most of your lifetime. And this will be a relationship that serves you both, that fulfills you both, and one that will be expansive and satisfying on an ongoing basis. Right now, your only goal is to find relief in some downstream thoughts, and so begin where you are and reach for improvement in the way you feel. Hmm. It's hard to find the right mate. Others want me, but I don't want them. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but I don't want to settle for less than what I want either. It's natural that you'd start out with upstream thoughts, but now try to find a thought that feels better. Like, I really don't need to make every date an audition for a life partner. I like getting to know people for many different reasons. I find the people I date really interesting. I'm enjoying exploring my options. My picture of my life partner has grown out of the dates I've had over the years. Each of them has added to my picture of what I want. Every experience in life adds to the evolution of our ideas and desires. I can feel how natural this process is. I don't know why I've tried to make it so complicated. Each of these thoughts brings a greater feeling of relief, and a valuable thing is happening. You are queuing yourself up for a whole new cluster of interesting women who will begin flowing into your experience, but these will be different in a new and important way. They, like you, will be exploring, collecting data, and looking for fun and good conversation. They won't be needy and desperate. They'll be confident and self-assured and interested in living life. This better-feeling cluster may hold the one you're looking for, or it may lead you to yet another better-feeling cluster, but it won't be long before you'll be face-to-face with a face who recognizes you at the same time that you're recognizing her as the one you want. And you will have every one of your past girlfriends and dates to thank for this rendezvous. This is the end of CD4. Example 14. My sister and I are not speaking to each other. Exercise. My sister and I had an argument over a year ago, and we haven't spoken to one another since. Sometimes I think I should just pick up the phone and call her, but then I remember how angry she made me when we last talked, and I don't want to take a chance on going back to those angry feelings again. I don't feel good about not talking to her, but it feels a lot better than how I felt back then. She started the argument, and then she wouldn't even try to understand my point of view. She's always been stubborn. She always thinks she's right. And I've always given in to her just to keep the peace. But I'm tired of always having to be the one who gives in. So I just don't call her. Hmm. Most people want to be loved. They want to be appreciated. And they want to be understood. But the trouble with those desires is that you cannot control whether someone else appreciates or loves or understands. We've noticed that it feels every bit as good to love or appreciate or understand as it does to be loved or appreciated or understood. And the most interesting thing about that is you have complete control over that. You have the ability to love someone just because you have decided that you want to. And while what they have done may have upset you so much that you do not feel you even want to try to love them, we want you to understand that unless you do love them, 
you will hold yourself out of vibrational alignment with yourself because, like it or not, your inner being does love them. Since they are the subjects of your thoughts, and since you feel horrible when you focus upon them, you blame them for the horrible way you feel. That is reason enough to stay mad at them, for they seem to be the reason you feel so awful. If they would be different, you would feel better. But since they refuse to be different, you think you can't feel better, so they seem to hold the power over the way you feel. No wonder you're mad at them. You've given them your most prized possession, the key to your own power. When you remember that you can control the way you feel, no matter what, you can regain your own power, and then you can come back into alignment with who you really are. And when you are in alignment with who you really are, it's easier to put their actions, words, and attitudes into the proper perspective. Those things are not your business. Even their thoughts about you are not your business. Even if the hurt from a relationship reaches far back into your childhood, you can, with far less effort than you might think, bring yourself into alignment because you do not have to go back in time and rethink everything and sort it all out and find remedies and solutions. Your pain, then and now, is always about only one thing. Your now vibrations, caused by what you're thinking right now and how those vibrations relate to the vibration of your inner being and who that part of you has become. You are one who loves, and when, for whatever reason, you do not love, you are tearing yourself apart. We understand that you feel justified in your anger or hatred, whether the subject of your discomfort is your sister or an evil dictator or someone who loved you and left you, but no matter what, there is simply no justification for anything other than love and appreciation. The price you pay in your discord is far too great a price to pay. In our view, nothing justifies an upstream disconnection from self. Usually, the more we try to get you to release your long-standing patterns of hatred for someone, the harder you cling to them, reaching for a more vivid justification for the way you feel. Really, this is but a product of your discomfort with your disallowance. In other words, when you have felt bad for a very long time and you associate that bad feeling with the behavior of another person, you take it very, very personally, and you usually feel extremely justified in your attitude. But all this fury is because you innately understand that you should be feeling good. And when you do not feel good, you take it very, very hard. When you discover your ability to deliberately turn your thoughts downstream without any modifying of their behavior at all, you will discover the indescribable feeling of relief that only comes through the releasing of resistance. With this understanding of the power of your own mind, you will no longer be looking for someone to love you or appreciate you or understand you or soothe you, cater to you or help you, for you will then be fully connected to the resources of the universe and in that connection you will be completely fulfilled and then such an interesting thing happens. In your connection with the vibration that is love and appreciation, you become one who is loved and appreciated by many. So begin where you are. For instance, if my sister wants to talk to me, she can call me. I'm tired of always being the one who tries to make amends. I'm happier when I don't interact with her. Maintaining a good relationship with her is too much work. So, you are where you are. Many might argue that your sister doesn't deserve your love, but we're not encouraging this process because of your sister, but because you deserve to be in alignment with who you are. And if we were talking with your sister, we'd tell her exactly the same thing. Do not come into alignment and discover the feelings of love and appreciation for your sister. Do it for yourself. While it certainly would be a wonderful world if everyone were to understand this and deliberately achieve vibrational alignment within themselves, it is not necessary for one other person to understand this in order for you to be joyful. 
for your happiness is dependent on no other. Now try to find relief. This anger has been weighing on me for a long time. It would be nice to be able to just let it go. I can't even remember the specifics of our disagreement. I'm sure now that it wasn't important. If I didn't love her, I probably wouldn't care so much what she thinks. Maybe I can love her regardless of what she thinks. I get it that I can't control how my sister thinks. I also get it that it is possible to control my own thoughts. I can feel the freedom in really getting control of my own thoughts. I think I've always wanted that, and that's why I feel such anger when I don't control my thoughts. I guess it's time for me to stop trying to hold my sister responsible. We want you to understand that we're not encouraging that you seek alignment and relief in order to then affect your actions. We're not trying to get you to call and make amends with your sister. It is our desire that you make amends with yourself and that you find a way to choose the kinds of thoughts that let you come into complete alignment with who you are. Then, from that place of alignment, you may be inspired to action. It's always certain that from your place of alignment, your inspired action is always to your advantage, and that from your place of misalignment, your action is never to your advantage. Now, I feel so much better. I do love and appreciate my sister. Maybe I'll call her later, or not. I don't have to decide right now. Now that you're feeling better, do your best to maintain those good feelings by redirecting your thoughts whenever you slip away from feeling good. In time, these better feeling thoughts will become your normal thoughts regarding this subject, and by then, circumstances will begin to appear that move you happily to the next logical step. Sometimes, once you get to feeling better, you want to immediately jump into action in order to bring others up to speed with you and the better feeling state that you have achieved. But it's best to just bask in the new and improved emotions for a while until they are truly stable within you. Then the law of attraction will take care of the rendezvousing with others and with the orchestrating of circumstances and events. Your work, your only work, is to find feelings of relief and therefore to come into alignment with who you really are and what you really want. Example 15. My mate controls me and I feel smothered. Example. I was so happy to find this person. We're so compatible in so many ways. And I know that we truly enhance the experience of each other. We do everything together and we're really good at working and living together. We like the same kinds of food and enjoy the same kinds of people. And we have very similar interests. In fact, if we were to fill out one of those compatibility surveys, I'm pretty sure we would be found to be a perfect match for each other. But lately, I've begun to feel not free. My mate seems so involved in everything that I do that I can hardly consider going off and doing something without her. And I realized the other day that I'm weary of having to take her point of view into consideration with every decision that I'm making. I just don't feel free. I have a friend who's diligently looking for a mate, and I found myself thinking, you may be better off than you know without a mate. That startled me, because I've always thought that it was so much better to have someone to share your life with. But maybe we aren't meant to share every moment, every thought, and every idea. I feel smothered. No matter how intensely intertwined you find yourself with another person, your relationship is affected many more times by the thoughts that are moving around in your own mind than by the other person who's moving around in your house or in your life experience. That's why it's so interesting to us to see people working so hard at controlling one another while working very little on controlling their own thoughts and perceptions, especially since they have no real control over another and they do have complete control over their own thoughts and perceptions. 
people often believe that they would feel so much better if their mate would just change in this way or that way, but that truly is a backward approach to things. When you say, I'll feel better if you'll make this change in your behavior or personality, what you're actually saying is, my happiness is dependent upon your willingness and ability to modify your behavior, therefore I am powerless. The reason why so many people are so very hard on those they live or interact with is because everyone inherently wants to be happy, but they also believe that their happiness is dependent upon things over which they actually have no control. In the beginning of most new relationships, things go along rather well, since both of you are predominantly looking for positive aspects in the other, and in the beginning both of you are unnaturally forcing yourself to work harder at pleasing the other. But when you behave from the vantage point of trying to please another rather than from the point of personal alignment, you set yourself up for a great amount of trouble. For it's not possible to hold someone else's desires as the center of your attention, because as a creator, you simply are not wired that way. By trying to please others, you encourage the distorted idea that someone else is responsible for their happiness, which in the long run disempowers them and makes them unhappy. We could accurately say that the harder you try to make others happy, the more unhappy they become, because they become dependent on behavior outside of themselves over which they have no control, rather than being in alignment within themselves over which they have complete control. So by holding your mate as your object of attention, telling yourself how much you love her and how important it is to you that she is happy, and then by trying to control her happiness through your actions, it is no wonder that you feel smothered, because attempting this impossible task requires an enormous amount of your time and attention. Also, in most cases, the more you try to control circumstances in order to enhance the experience of others, the more dependent they become on your behavior, and in time, the more demanding they become. You are innately such independent beings that the more dependent you become, the unhappier you become. Interesting, is it not, that your intentions were to make the other happy, but instead you've encouraged less happiness? Your only chance of influencing another to happiness is for you to truly be happy. And the only way for you to truly be happy is to achieve the state of vibrational alignment between you and you. So let's apply that formula specifically to the subject of your desire for your mate's happiness. Scenario 1. You want your mate to be happy. You observe her, and you notice that she is happy. Your desire and what you are observing match. Therefore, you are in alignment, and therefore, you feel happy. Scenario 2. You want your mate to be happy. You observe she is not happy about something. Your desire and what you are observing do not match. Therefore, you are not in alignment, and therefore, you do not feel happy. Scenario 3. You want your mate to be happy. You observe that she's not happy about something. You do everything you can think of to make her feel better. She's distracted from her misalignment and feels temporarily better. You like that she feels better and now take responsibility for her feeling better. She now becomes dependent upon your behavior for the way she feels. She gradually loses her sense of independence, which now makes her unhappier. And so you try harder at making her happy but she becomes even more unhappy because your behavior is offered from the flawed premise that you should or even can make another person happy. Scenario 4. You want your mate to be happy. You observe that she's not happy about something. You use the power of your mind to ignore how she's feeling right now and you fixate on something that allows you to continue to be happy. She thinks you should be paying more attention to her and that you should be trying harder to make her happy. Your happiness is your dominant desire, so you selfishly ignore her unhappy state and remain happy. 
In your success at remaining happy, because you have practiced it a great deal, you remain in alignment with your broader perspective. Because you are in alignment with your greater resources, your timing is good, your clarity is good, your vitality is good, and you feel wonderful. Because you're in alignment with your greater resources, you are emitting a strong vibrational signal of well-being. And because your mate wants to feel good, and the vibration that you are emitting is all about that, she is influenced vibrationally to her own alignment. In other words, because of your selfish desire to remain connected to your own resources of well-being, you were able to uplift your mate to what she wanted as well. But this is the most important part of all. No matter how much alignment you have achieved, and no matter how strong your vibrational signal of well-being is, it is the work of your mate to bring herself into alignment with that signal. You cannot do that for another person. So what it really comes down to is that you have to love others enough to encourage their alignment, which is the only thing that can make them happy. So, of course, be as loving and nice to the people around you as you can be, but not because you're attempting to fill some void for them through your behavior. Be loving and nice because you are in alignment with who you really are. And here's the most important factor to remember. It's very simple to want to feel good and to practice the directing of your thoughts until you do. It is extremely complicated to try to affect the behavior or emotional state or alignment of another. Tend to your own vibrational balance and let the law of attraction do the rest of the work. So start where you are and try to find downstream statements. For instance, I feel smothered. I'm tired of having to consider what my wife wants regarding everything I do. I wish she'd get involved in something that would take her attention away from me. So that's where you are. Now, rather than looking for relief by getting your partner to change in some way, try to find relief through your own thoughts. Regardless of what my partner wants or thinks, I can think my own thoughts. I do not have to consider her response to my every thought. A big part of what I feel is because of what goes on in my own mind. I'm free to think my own thoughts. Now this stream of thoughts is definitely downstream and you're now feeling better. My mate isn't really trying to control me. Our way of living together has just evolved. It isn't that I actually disagree with her about much of anything. We're very compatible in many ways. She's never tried to dominate or control my thinking. My feeling of being smothered is more about my jumbled mind than anything else. I can sort out my thoughts if I try. I'm in control of my own thoughts. There are endless subjects that I can focus on. I'm free to pursue any interest I decide on. Now, once you get pointed downstream, it's rather easy to continue to find better feeling thoughts. For instance, I don't have to sort out everything at once. Our relationship is predominantly very positive. I'm experiencing no actual confinement. That smothered feeling has now lifted completely. If it ever returns, I know why and what to do about it. Example 16. I'm getting divorced and I feel lost. Example. I've been married for 10 years and last month my husband told me that he wanted a divorce. He said that he'd been thinking about it for a long time and didn't see any point in delaying it. I know that our relationship was far from perfect, but I had no idea that he was so unhappy that he would want to leave. He moved out into his own place that same week. I tried to talk him out of it, but he had already come to such a strong resolve before he told me about his decision that I can tell he's not going to come back. I'm trying to get on with my own life, but so many aspects of my life were tied to him.
I'm not comfortable seeing mutual friends. Uh, I can't stand to go to my favorite restaurants, and even television programs that we enjoyed together bring me pain. I feel lost in my own life. We're going to begin by saying something that most people in your situation are not ready to hear and do not want to hear. But if you can hear this, it will provide a speedy avenue out of your intense pain. Your grief is a result of the vibrational contradiction within you, and you can fix that. Usually grieving people say, well, of course I'm grieving. Look at what has happened to me. And certainly we understand the correlation between your husband's leaving and your grief. But there's something much bigger going on here than your response to his action right now, even though he is a significant person in your life. All of your life, and even before your birth, you've been in the process of creating a vibrational escrow regarding your significant relationship. And that vibrational creation is detailed, powerful, and real. And so, as you focus today on the action of your husband, or the lack of this relationship, you are pointed upstream against an extremely powerful downstream current. In other words, your grief is not only about the departure of this one person, but it arises because you are cross-current of a powerful creation, intention, and vibrational reality. When a current flows this powerfully, and you get crossways of it, your negative emotion is very strong. This intense grief you're feeling is not because this person has left you. This pain is an indication that you and your current thoughts are defying your own very powerful relationship creation that is alive and well and waiting for you and your vibrational escrow. We want to shout to anyone who's suffering over the loss of a relationship. Your relationship, the one you really want, the one that you've been creating and adding to every day of your life, the one that you amended even during the process of the breaking down of this relationship, is still there for you in your vibrational escrow. But this pain you're feeling now means that in this moment, you're not moving toward it, but away from it. In other words, your pain is not so much about this person leaving your relationship as it is that your attention to his action has focused you in opposition to the dream of a relationship that you've been in the process of creating for a very long time. When you come into full conscious awareness of how all things are created and you understand your vibrational escrow and your emotional guidance system, which indicates the direction of your current thought, you will never again be held hostage by the behavior of any other. When someone walks out the door, understand that it's just a person walking out the door. It's not the end of your dream, the end of your creation, or the end of your life. It is just another experience giving you even more clarity about what you want and do not want. It is another opportunity for you to create an even more pleasing vibrational escrow. Often, as we explain how you create your own reality and that you can be, do, or have anything that you desire, a person standing in your position then asks, so will my husband come back to me since he's the one I really want? Of course, it is possible that as you come back into vibrational alignment with your vibrational escrow picture of the life you want to live, this man and this relationship could be the path of least resistance to get you to what you want. It often happens that way. However, we would like you to realize that as significant as this man feels to you and to your happiness at this time, really, this specific person is not relevant. The only thing that is relevant is that you come into vibrational alignment with your own vibrational escrow. And when you do, the universe must deliver to you the perfect match. In other words, the relationship between you and you is the one you must work on. And when that one is in alignment, all others will fall into alignment as well. Your mate's departure has caused you to focus upstream, but you're strong enough to take those thoughts as they occur, one at a time, and let them turn downstream. Even under these intense circumstances, you can do it. 
And as you do, you'll feel so much better, and whatever you want will then become your physical reality. The predominant thing that goes wrong in the majority of failed relationships is that one or the other, or both, is holding the other one responsible for his or her happiness. Most people say to their partner some version of the following, I want to be happy. When you do such and such, I feel happy, and so I'm counting on you to always do what makes me happy. When you believe that your happiness is dependent upon what someone else does, you're setting yourself up for much pain because no other can even come close to offering enough behavior to keep you in alignment. Only you can do that through your downstream choices. No one else can even begin to understand the vibrational escrow that you have amassed. You are literally asking the impossible when you count on the behavior of another to keep you happy. The lack of freedom that your partner feels, if he believes that your happiness is dependent upon him, is suffocating. So much so that, like the majority of people, he leaves a relationship simply in the quest for more breathing space and freedom. But feel the downstream ease you would feel if someone were to say to you, I love being with you, and right now I feel wonderful being at your side, and, by the way, I take full responsibility for the way I feel at all times. I have the power to direct my thoughts no matter what in ways to keep me in alignment with who I really am and feeling good. So, you're free to live your life in whatever way appeals to you, and I'll be fine. I love being with you, living with you, and loving with you, but my happiness is my responsibility. A freedom-seeking, joy-seeking partner would thrive inside a relationship like that, for that kind of understanding provides the basis for an eternal relationship of joy. When two people understand that they can live and love and expand unendingly together, there's never a reason to leave and go someplace else, because the freedom that most are so desperate for is fully present right where they are. When you come into alignment with who you really are, and with the relationship that you have recreated, which your inner being is calling you toward, it is possible that this man will flow easily back into your experience. But that really is, and we know you do not want to hear this right now, irrelevant. When you get into alignment and begin to flow consistently downstream, it is now possible for the relationship of your dreams to come to you. You will know it when you see it, and it will not matter what specific face is behind it, for everything about it will be a perfect match to what you have spent your lifetime identifying that you want. Every so-called failed relationship you have experienced has helped your vibrational escrow to evolve. It is ready for you. The question is only, are you ready for it? So, start where you are, since you have no other choice, and try to find increasingly better-feeling thoughts. For instance, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to see my family or friends. I just want to be left alone. Those statements of powerlessness and abandonment are clearly upstream statements, but that's perfectly normal as you begin the process. It has been helpful for you to make such statements because doing so has amplified within you the vibration of where you are. And the most helpful thing about knowing where you are is that you will be able to feel the improvement in your vibration as soon as you make an effort to find better feeling thoughts. For instance, I've given a big part of my life to this relationship. I thought that we made a lifetime commitment to each other. Well, I always keep my promises. I would never do what he did. I don't deserve this. These statements are a slight improvement, but while they are still laced with your feeling of powerlessness, you are feeling slightly better as you gather your resources to fight back in a sense, and it is important to note that anything downstream is better than a feeling of powerlessness. Others watching you move from a feeling of powerlessness to rage may very well caution you about your anger, 
but they cannot gauge the improvement in your vibrational alignment. From their perspective, since they do not feel the powerlessness that you're feeling, rage may very well be an upstream thought. But this is your stream, not theirs, and only you really know which thoughts give you relief and which thoughts do not. It is possible that you may spend a few days or even weeks in your rage-revenge mode, but that is not necessary because when you realize that you do have a choice right now as to the way you feel, there's no reason to remain in the uncomfortable place, by comparison, of rage and revenge. A note worth considering. From your place of powerlessness, the emotion of rage or revenge was more comfortable or downstream. But from a place of frustration, the emotion of rage would be less comfortable or upstream. It is your work to continue to reach for thoughts and feelings of greater relief and comfort. And so, replacing your feelings of powerlessness with feelings of anger may very well be the next logical step in your downstream motion. For instance, I don't deserve this. I deserve a partner who wants to be with me. I have no intention of clinging to someone who would rather be someplace else. My life doesn't depend on this person who can't keep his commitments. Life is too short to waste it with someone like that. Thousands of books have been written regarding interpersonal relationships as scholars and counselors attempt to point out the appropriateness of various attitudes or behaviors. But what the majority of them miss altogether is an understanding that there's not only one right attitude or opinion regarding any subject for two extremely important reasons. First, you do not have access to every thought from where you're standing right now. And second, the appropriateness of the thought is only relevant to where you stand right now. In other words, no one else knows which thoughts are right for you, but you know. Your emotional guidance system is telling you. So now that you've discovered the improved feeling of anger, let's continue to reach for further improvement in the way you feel. For instance, in some ways, I'm glad it's done. At least we're not screaming at each other now. Now that it's all out in the open, I feel an odd sense of relief. I don't have to figure it all out right now. I'm feeling exhausted. Notice the relief you're feeling. You've come to a sort of resignation about what has happened and an acceptance of what is. But the important thing to notice here is the lessening of pushing against. In this lessening of resistance, you're allowing your stream to carry you without a struggle downstream. Things have a way of working themselves out. I have always been a survivor. I'll eventually find my balance. A feeling of hopefulness is beginning to rise within you, and from here it is really smooth floating. Once you manage to deliberately bring yourself into a feeling of hope, the power of your dream and of who you really are will call you forward. You have accomplished a great deal here merely by making an effort to feel better. Often with big situations such as this, which affect your life in many ways, you may find yourself reverting back into some of those upstream thoughts that for now you've left behind. You may feel compelled to relate your experience to a friend or a family member, and in doing so, you may very well reactivate your feelings of anger or even of depression. However, having consciously focused yourself into a much improved emotion regarding this subject once, you now possess the knowledge that you can do it again. And as you make your way along, you feel more important to yourself without needing to defensively recount the details of your personal saga. And so your downstream motion toward everything that you desire, which your life has helped you to define, will continue. Example 17. My children have no respect for me. Example. I'm a single parent, and I'm raising three teenage daughters who treat me very badly. 
I'm not sure when things started to go wrong, but none of them seemed to have any respect for me at all. When they were little, they were really nice little girls. They sometimes fought with each other, like all children do, but whenever I got involved in the situation and told them to stop it, they listened and usually did what I said. But those days are long gone. Now, not only do they not do what I ask them to do, but they openly mock me, rolling their eyes and laughing with each other. It's like they've joined forces against me. I don't know how it happened or when it happened, but it's very uncomfortable. When did I lose control? Although there is tremendous variety in the dynamics of families in your culture today, there is a basic belief that many parents hold that is contrary to universal forces and, in our view, is the reason for a great deal of confusion and family discord. And your last statement hit right upon it. When did I lose control? Of course, it is possible to control the behavior of another to some extent, especially a child who's just coming into this world, small and dependent for so many things. But the concept of controlling another or of being controlled yourself is not something that any of you intended when you made the decision to come forth into this time-space reality. You knew from that broader vantage point that all things are attracted vibrationally, and therefore it was obvious to you then that all that was required for the creation of anything that you desired was putting your attention upon your object of desire and maintaining that connection until the physical actualization. No control, manipulation, justification, or hard work is required, but only pure, non-resisted attention to your object of desire. How free and wonderful life is when no one is attempting to control you and you are not attempting to control any other. You are born with basic instincts, not only for surviving in this environment, but also for joyous survival. You have come forth as a powerful creator, and it was your intention, without exception, to explore possibilities, to come to your own unique conclusions about what you want, and to create, through the power of your aligned focus, your own reality. So when others step into your experience and proclaim that they are the deciders of what you should create, want, think, or do, you feel strong discord within you, a sort of rebellion, which is indicating the upstream direction of your thoughts. When you understand the laws of the universe and the independent, creative nature of your children, it is possible to offer loving guidance that will be well received by them without stepping on their creative toes. When you realize that your children, like yourself, have come forth to create their own life experiences, then you will understand why they rebel when anyone tries to take that away from them. For some, the feeling is as intense as if a pillow were pressed to their face, depriving them of oxygen. Some parents in extreme situations believe that the more a child rebels, then the stronger the control that is offered must be. Some parents are encouraged by other teachers of parental control to establish ultimatums that stick to them until the children finally give in and yield their power back over to the parents, a sort of breaking of the children's spirits, as in the breaking of a wild horse, causing them to meekly do what the parents are requesting of them. And while we agree that the taming of these children may provide a quieter and more organized household, we do not encourage the breaking of the spirit of anyone. This business of parenting is a very big topic, and people have been struggling for a very long time to uncover the proper way of approaching it. No other relationship sets the tone for the life experience of every individual more powerfully than the relationship between parent and child. For from that early beginning, people set those first vibrational tones that most then carry with them throughout their entire lifetime to their graves. This struggle is not new in your culture or environment, and it will never come into alignment until you approach the subject vibrationally through thought instead of through action, whether you are a parent of a child or a child of a parent or both. 
The thing that most often goes wrong in a parent-child relationship is that the parent, who is troubled in this moment for whatever reason, attempts to direct the child through words and actions. In other words, this parent is not in alignment with the resources of the broader perspective and in this disconnected state is now interacting with the child, and no good ever comes from that. Endless scenarios could be written, and have been written, explaining the variety of bad behavior from both parents and children, but every instant of unwanted behavior could be easily resolved if the following all-important premises were understood. To parents, you have provided your children an avenue into this life experience. You are not the creator of your children's experience. Your children have more powerful resources for their guidance and wisdom than you. You are not responsible for what your children create now that they are here. Your children have the resources within them for whatever they desire. Your children are pure, positive energy beings who have come here with great purpose. Your children were set into motion long before you gave birth to them. Your children have within them a guidance system that is powerful and precise. Your greatest value to your children is to assist them in maintaining their connection to their own source energy. You cannot assist your child in their connection to source energy unless you, yourself, are connected. It is not your work to control your children. Every struggle, bad feeling, disagreement, argument or crisis that you experience with your children happens while you are not connected to your source energy. Your alignment, your connection with your own source energy, is more important than your relationship with your child. That is the control you're seeking. When you are mad at your children, you are not in alignment with who you really are, but the discomfort you feel is your own doing. To children of parents, your parents have provided this wonderful avenue for you into this time-space reality. While your parents certainly do want what is best for you, they have no way of knowing what that is. You did not come forth to do the bidding of any other. You are the creator of your own experience. You are an extension of source energy, and you have come here with great purpose. You can tell when you're on your path by the way you feel. However, since your parents have been here longer, they will seek to give you the benefit of their wisdom. Much of what they have learned will be of value to you. Since your parents have been here longer, they're less likely to sense that broader perspective than you are. When you remain connected to the energy of your source, you will always know the appropriateness of anything you are considering or doing. Your parents will most likely attempt some measure of control, but you do not need to struggle against that control, for your control is only your own. You control your life and your own reality by offering thoughts that match your broader intentions. When you are mad at your parents, you are not in alignment with who you really are, and the discomfort you feel is your own doing. People often get bogged down in the details of their assessment of one another's actions and the rightness or wrongness of those actions, but no real resolutions are ever found in that way. Committees are formed and studies are made in an effort to find the best parenting methods, and opinions on this subject are as numerous as grains of sand at the beach. Methods switch from less control to more control, back to less control, back to more control, but the key to wonderful relationships and productive parenting has been within you all along.
When you offer thoughts about your children and pay attention to how those thoughts feel, you will have your perfect guide to parenting and to everything else. So, begin where you are. For instance, I must control my child. I can't control my child. My child is uncontrollable. My uncontrollable child is doomed to a troubled life. I need to find a way to control my child. Now, all of those statements feel bad to you upstream, which means your inner being is thinking very differently about your role as a parent. If I don't control my child, I'll be seen as a bad parent by my child's school. Now, this statement feels bad because you can't control your child, but your child's school is attempting to exercise control over you. None of that is a match to your broader intentions regarding your child. My children have no respect for me. If they don't respect me, they will not respect other adults, and that will have a negative impact on their entire lives. You think that the pain you're feeling is because of your children's disrespect for you, but all emotional pain is really about your disagreement with your own inner being. In other words, your in-this-moment thoughts do not match the thoughts your inner being has about the subject. It's very common to try to justify a negative position you're standing in because at deep levels you know that you should be feeling good, so you're going on to explain that your children's lives will be ruined if you do not do something about their disrespect, but your inner being is not in agreement with that logic either. So rather than trying to unravel all the dilemmas of parenthood from the beginning of time by comparing every technique and its apparent results to every other technique, it is our desire that you bring all of this into simple perspective by doing the only thing that you have control over, and that is the alignment of thoughts, vibrations, and energies within your own being. Focus and comment about this subject while feeling for the harmony of your broader perspective. Try to find a downstream thought that feels slightly better than the last and continue the process until you've shown yourself what your inner being or your source thinks about your parental responsibility, about you, and about your children. I hate it when my girls roll their eyes at me that way. They do it right in front of me and they don't even care about how it makes me feel. This is what has happened and you do feel bad about it. Now try to find some downstream thoughts without asking them to change their behavior because you have control over your thoughts and feelings but no control, as your experience with them has shown you, over their behavior. It's not personal. They don't respect any adults. This does not feel much better because you're still concerned about how their disrespectful behavior will impact their future lives. Now, we do not want to spend any more time explaining why your thoughts feel better or worse because it only slows things down and has the potential of taking you off into other uncomfortable directions. Just make an effort to make yourself feel better by your choice of thoughts. This is a good time to remind you, as you try to get your boat moving against the current, of the difference between getting a firm grip on those oars and just letting go of the oars and going with the flow. Try to let go of the control of your girls and see if it gives you any feelings of relief. For instance, I've tried everything I can think of. I've read every book I could get my hands on. It's the first thing I think of when I waken and the last thing I think about before I sleep. I don't know what to do. I give up. Now, focus only upon how you feel. Experience the relief of giving up, of letting go of those oars. Try to remember that there is value in relief, for it means your resistance is lessened. Every bit of discomfort you have experienced in your interaction with your girls has put more specific desires in your vibrational escrow regarding your relationship with them and regarding the success of their lives. And just now, in letting go, you begin to move toward those desires. So now you have access to other better feeling thoughts. For instance, 
I don't have to figure it all out right now. Maybe it isn't my job to figure out their lives. There aren't enough hours in the day to sort through the complicated details of my teenagers' lives. I think that I've been spending far too much time trying to do that. There are other things I could think about. They're a big part of my life, but I do have my own life. It feels good to think about giving the subject of my girls a rest. My girls would probably like that, too. You are feeling much more lighthearted now. From your current vibrational stance, your very recent negative feelings even feel a little odd to you. You're feeling some slight humor in the idea that your girls will appreciate your lightening up as much as you do. For instance, they won't know what to do if I'm not haranguing them all the time. It'll be fun to see their surprise instead of the rolling of their eyes. My backing off cannot possibly cause a more negative result, since what I've been doing certainly hasn't produced any positive results. I like the idea of seeing my girls through the loving eyes of my own inner being. Those wonderful old feelings are very familiar. I remember seeing each of them as perfect and feeling joyful about their future. I really do want to return to those feelings about them. I wonder what time it is. I should be home soon. I'll be glad to see them. This will be fun. We are certainly not suggesting that your trouble with your teenagers has now been completely resolved with this short exercise, but you did come into alignment with your source. And if you will remain determined to find thoughts of relief when circumstances arise that are uncomfortable, these relationships will be transformed. When your girls begin to catch wind of your willingness to not only allow them to create their own reality, but to encourage it, the majority of their pushing back at you will stop. It will be as if you have removed the pillow from their faces, and the flailing about will stop immediately. And now you can all get back into your own individual boats and continue your joyous journeys in this wonderful life experience. Example 18. People steal my creative ideas. Example. I've been working as a freelance writer for the last two years. I submit my work to a number of different publications, and it's becoming well-known. I'm now at the point that I can support my family for my writing as the opportunities are steadily flowing in. Recently, friends and colleagues have been sending me copies of things that have been written by other people who are clearly using information that originated in my work. They change some verbiage here and try to mask the fact that they're taking it from my articles, but it's obvious that they're doing nothing more than rewording my work. First of all, it's really annoying when I think of how much of my time and effort has gone into the creation of my work. Second, it's clearly plagiarism, and I don't understand how they could possibly feel good about it. I don't go around looking for what's working for other people and then copy it for my own benefit. Where's their sense of pride? But the thing that bothers me most is that they're taking my clearly thought-out ideas and mixing them with concepts that aren't valid, and so they're actually bringing more clutter and confusion than clarity to the concepts. Why don't they just create their own bandwagon? You have been collecting data for some time now, and it's natural that you would come to your own personal view of the world, and it's also normal to believe that your worldview is the correct one. And so, as you see behavior of other humans on your planet, it's logical that you would compare your worldview with the behavior of others and often come to the conclusion, I would never do that. It also activates within you a feeling that you need to control the behavior of others to keep them from doing those inappropriate things. Wars that are waged with words and all manner of weapons continue century after century as humans struggle to sift through the details of human experience in the search for the right human behavior and ideology. But you are really no closer today 
with the waging of your most recent war than your predecessors were with the waging of the first war, for there is no one right way of behaving, thinking, or living. Often humans believe that the objective of life is to discover the right way of living and then to convince or coerce all others to conform with it. But that is exactly backward from what you know from your broader perspective as well as from the intentions that you held when you came forth into this physical time-space reality. Prior to your birth into this earth plane, it was never your intention to attempt to diminish the universe by systematically eliminating one bad idea after another till you would be left with a handful of good ideas. For you understood that expansion is inevitable in this eternal universe. And, most of all, you understood that the variety of ideas, both right and wrong, is necessary for the eternal expansion. We give this to you because we understand the tremendous benefits you'll receive when you no longer stand in a place of insisting on the rightness of your point of view while adding equal emphasis to the wrongness of another's. No matter how popular or correct by whatever standards your point of view is, while you're pushing against others' ideas, you're activating a contradictory vibration within yourself that's preventing you from the benefit of your preferred idea. And then, if you're like most, you blame the others with their opposing views for your own failure to promote your idea of goodness. And the battle continues. When you remember that you are the creator of your experience and that no one else need agree with your premises or your intentions or your behavior in order for you to be able to achieve whatever you set out to accomplish, then, and really only then, will you truly be willing to allow others to do as they choose. It is not necessary to come into agreement about anything with the others who share your planet, but it is essential to come into agreement with your own being. And when you do so, beneficial ideas that will promote the general welfare of everyone and everything on your planet will flow forth from you. Do not allow the behavior of another, no matter how ill-intentioned it may appear to be, from your point of view, to deprive you of the power, clarity, and joy of that which is truly you. You can waste your entire lifetime attempting to sort out the behavior of others, categorizing behaviors into piles of right, wrong, really, really wrong, sort of wrong, not so very wrong, pretty wrong, not as wrong as other things, almost right, more right, righter still, very, very right, and so on. And it's not too much different to say, I would never do such and such a thing. You may not do it because it just wouldn't feel good to you. You may already be aware of the connection between you and your broader non-physical inner being, and so you may very well know clearly which behaviors are on your path and which ones are not. But you simply cannot accurately achieve the vantage point within others between who they are being right now and who the expanded part of them is. You cannot accurately assess the appropriateness of their behavior, no matter what that behavior may be. And whenever you try to decide what another person should or should not be doing, you are off your path. And that, friend, is really what is upsetting you. It's not about the stealing or the corrupting of your ideas. It's not even the skimming off of your audiences or competition in the marketplace. What is at the heart of your discomfort, while you focus on these plagiarizers, is your own misalignment with who you really are. If that person would only behave differently, I would feel better. There is no greater entrapment than that, because not only can you not control them, no matter how powerful your armies become, but it is cross-current of your very reason for being and of your very eternal nature. When you discover the factor of relief that's available through your downstream intention, you will discover the path to true freedom, freedom from the bondage that comes from trying to control others when your only work is to control the vibration of your own being. The best part of this understanding is that no one else needs to possess or apply this knowledge. 
You can apply it whether anyone else does or not. And when you do, your world will become exactly as you want it to be. And that is the control you've been seeking. That is the secret to life that humans have been looking for. We're going to walk you through a series of statements, each one an improvement from the one before, bringing you back into perfect alignment with who you really are. For instance, I've spent many years creating and disseminating my life's work. It feels wrong for others to read it, like it, and then change the words only slightly and claim it as their own. I would never do that. I've always done my best to give credit where it's due. Whenever I receive benefit from something, I always acknowledge it. Asking them nicely has no effect. They clearly see life differently than I do. There are copyright laws in place to prohibit this kind of thing. I would have no difficulty proving that they've taken the bulk of the material from me. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are familiar with my work who would back me up on this. I always have that option should I choose to pursue it. I do know that pushing against others, even when I see them as wrong, is never good for me. My own experience has shown me that there is no shortage of resources. It's not my desire to be the only voice that's heard. The more other people are offering uplifting words to this world, the better. My desire for people to understand is also being fulfilled through the work of others. We're all in this together. Everyone starts from where they are, and if my work has been part of the basis from which they begin, so much the better. Nothing makes me happier than to see others finding improvement in their own life experience. I'm happy that there are so many others who seek to add to the upliftment of this world. I joyously applaud all others in accomplishing their own desires. I am never diminished by the success of someone else, but rather my experience is enhanced. I adore this unlimited universe. I'm alive with excitement in my understanding that I too am unlimited. I love understanding that all others are unlimited as well. This is the end of CD5. Example 19. My mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Example. My mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and I'm very worried about her. I'm worried about what life will be like for her and how we'll take care of her. The doctor said she's only in the beginning stages of it, but that it can be a fairly fast-moving illness and that we should prepare ourselves. I have no idea how to prepare for something like this. She's always been a very smart woman who enjoys conversation and discussing ideas. I don't think I can endure watching her to lose all of that. It's helpful to remember, as you observe the experiences of others, that your perspective of their experience is always different from their perspective of their experience. In other words, your mother may feel no negative emotion at all as her focus diminishes, while you could torture yourself a great deal over it. As you see your mother's ability to focus seeming to diminish, you may wish to find ways to bring her back to a more alert state of awareness. Some work hard to try to induce their loved ones to just try harder to focus, offering them games and stimulation in the way you might try to motivate a child to learn something. But these well-meaning people are misunderstanding something very important about the condition of their parents. This disease is a path of least resistance that their parents have created for themselves for a gradual exit from this physical experience. And any efforts to try to hold them here does not help them. Of course, you would feel better if your mother were living a sharp, clear, joyful experience, but you cannot create that for her. Most people never find a way to bring themselves into joyful balance in a situation like this because for the most part they depend on finding improved situations before they find an improved feeling. 
But since they have no way of fixing a situation like this, they usually find no way of maintaining their own personal balance. Like, give me an improved condition and then I'll feel better, is what most people are asking for. But what is really required of you is the ability to maintain your balance and your connection to who you really are, regardless of the conditions that exist. Unconditional love is maintaining my connection to my source, which is love, regardless of the conditions that surround me. Your mother, in this situation, has found a way to free herself of the thoughts that were holding her out of alignment with who she really is, and in her death experience, she will then experience complete connection. However, in understanding what your emotions are telling you, and by making a conscious effort to find increasingly better feeling thoughts, you will come into your full and complete connection without the need for the Alzheimer's disease or the death experience to bring it about. So, from where you are, begin right now to bring yourself into alignment without asking your mother to change the conditions of her experience. For instance, I can't bear to see my mother losing her grasp on life. She was always so brilliant, I never thought that this would happen to her. But while I see her frustration, it isn't actually more than what she has usually felt. In fact, many issues that have angered her in the past seem to be diminished in importance. The frustration that she shows seems to have replaced the anger that I've so often seen. These days I often witness a sort of peaceful resignation in her. It feels as if she's released many of her long-fought struggles. Her memory is often vivid regarding some things. She's clearly not suffering with this as much as her loving family is. I've never thought that my mother would live forever. I didn't believe that my mother would live longer than I would. While it's hard to imagine being prepared for the death of one's parent, in some ways this disease is preparing us all. And, most of all, it seems to be preparing my mother. When I see it like this, I feel appreciation for this unfolding. I'm coming to understand that all things are working for our greatest benefit. At times, things that seem out of balance and not to our advantage actually are to our advantage. I'm looking forward to remembering that we're always blessed and that things are always working out for us. Example 20. My office staff cannot seem to get along. Example. I'm the owner of a small business with approximately 20 employees. The business is profitable and is continuing to steadily grow, but at times I'm not sure I want it to get bigger. It seems as if the bigger it gets, the more employees it requires and the more employees I hire, the more trouble they cause. I believe I was happier with a much smaller business that I could tend to myself. I'm so tired of the personality clashes and petty grievances that staff members have with each other. Sometimes I feel more like a parent or a kindergarten teacher than an employer. I wish they could just get along, do their work, and stop causing so much trouble. As you focus upon your business, your employees, your clients, and your products, it feels to you that there's a great deal to consider manage and control. And the more products and clients you add, the more people your business requires to fulfill that. And in all of these details, it's easy to lose sight of the most important part of your personal creation. The basis of all of this is vibration. Your business was created by virtue of your thought, not your action. Many people feel disagreement with that statement because they believe they're seeing the results of physical effort and action. We certainly do not disagree that you live in a world of action and that results can be attributed to action. 
But when you realize that your vibration plays a far greater role in the outcomes that you're producing than does your action, and you begin to put more emphasis on your vibrations, thoughts, and your emotions, you'll discover a powerful leverage of your time and energy that will profoundly affect your outcomes. In short, you will achieve far greater results with much less time and effort. When you focus upon a problem, you lose your connection to your broader view, and then things begin to quickly bog down. When you remain solution-oriented, you maintain access to that broader view, and not only do you then find speedy resolutions to problems, but you also enjoy the steady process of your inevitable expansion. There can be no future expansion if your present is not asking for further solutions, and your present cannot ask for further solution without an existing problem. Your present cannot ask for further answer without an existing question. In other words, the problems you wish to avoid are actually necessary for the expansion you seek. In understanding that, it's possible to achieve a joyful rhythm of creation that can be enjoyed by you and your employees alike. Since your business, no matter what its structure or product, is an extension of your thought vibration, most of its creation occurred before the physical pieces were assembled. Through your pondering, wondering about, speculating on, and deciding upon ideas, you set your business into motion, and during that thinking process, you offered very few thoughts that were of a hindering nature. Since everything that exists in your physical form was thought first, then form, you were able to see your business clearly even before you found a physical structure for it or gathered employees or products, and in that vibrational state there was little resistance, and so it expanded rapidly. The greater part of the positive direction of most companies occurs before the physical business comes together. But for most, once the buildings, employees, and products are in place, the positive momentum ceases because most of the creators of the business now begin to focus upon the problems that arise. Most do not remain solution-oriented. If you can understand that what you are calling problems are really only requests for answers from a universe that can provide answers to any question and solutions to any problems, and that in fact those questions and answers and problems and solutions are the process through which all expansion occurs, then you may joyously begin to settle into the perfect unfolding of your own wonderful business. Rather than viewing what's happening with your staff as petty grievances, you'll see them as the opportunities for creation that they really are and you will come to appreciate the interesting mix of people and ideas that you've assembled. The key to your business success and to your personal happiness is one and the same. You must find thoughts that are pleasing to you rather than asking your employees to behave in ways that please you. Regardless of what they are actually doing, you must find a way to be pleased. By insisting upon feeling good and reworking your own thoughts to the point that you do predominantly feel good, you will align with your ever-expanding desires about your business, and the universe will yield whatever is required for the physical manifestation of those desires. As you look at the range of willingness, abilities, and personalities of your employees, and as you will fixate upon the things you like best from the mix, the universe will deliver more like that to you. If you focus upon what needs to be changed, the universe will deliver more like that to you. Nothing brings out the worst in another faster than you're focusing upon it. Nothing brings out the best in another faster than you're focusing upon it. Some business owners want to remove themselves from the petty details of their organization so that they can focus on the bigger picture and grander ideas. And there is certainly value in holding the big picture in mind. But it's not your attention to the petty aspects of your business that's bogging you down. It's the focusing on aspects that cause a disconnection in you. 
If each time you become aware of a problem, you see it simply as a question that is summoning an answer, the answer will come quickly, and you will have enjoyed the process of expansion. In other words, the details do not bog you down, but your own split energy does. If you are able to tend to your own energy and maintain your connection to your evolving desires regarding your business, more talented people will arrive to tend to any of the details you wish to release, leaving you available to tend to whatever aspect of your business pleases you most. There is no ending to the expansion of your business or of you, so begin where you are and reach for the downstream thoughts of relief. Since you're beginning in a place of frustration, not hopelessness or depression, it will be relatively easy for you to come into alignment with your desire for a well-run, good-feeling business, and, more important, with who you really are. For instance, I'm so tired of trying to deal with personality clashes at my office. These people physically left high school years ago, but their petty grievances with each other make it seem like they're still there mentally. There are so many more important things for me to give my attention to. My staff is important to me. The well-being of my staff is also important to me. I've always wanted a nice working environment for my employees. A large part of their lives is spent at work at my company. It's understandable that they would want things to be comfortable for them. When faced with an unpleasant situation, it's normal to have a knee-jerk reaction to it. Life is about exploring contrast, and that's what they're doing. By knowing what they don't want, they'll figure out what they do want. They may not be nearly as bothered by this as I am, or as I think they are. They are getting the work done. Their happiness isn't my responsibility. I'm only feeling unhappy because I myself am focused negatively. I shouldn't ask them to behave differently so that I can feel better. These people who work at my office have so many positive aspects. When I focus upon the long list of positive aspects, this unpleasant situation disappears for me. It is my desire that they figure out how to make it disappear for them as well. I love providing an environment for expansion as well as for prosperity. I love these people. Example 21. My husband thinks this philosophy is nuts and wants no part of it. Example. I've been reading about the law of attraction and it makes perfect sense to me. And so I try to pay attention to what I'm thinking and saying and I've been working with some of the processes to better my life but my husband doesn't believe any of this stuff. It even makes him angry when he thinks I'm deliberately applying one of the processes. And the more aware I am of how the law of attraction works, the more that the negative things my husband says bother me. I wish that he would try to learn this. I feel like if we were working on it together, we could really improve our lives. But since he won't even try, won't my husband's negative thoughts hinder my positive thoughts? Others' thoughts have no power in your creation. That is, unless you're thinking about their thoughts. When you think about your husband's thoughts, they become your thoughts, and then they do affect the balance of your creation. When your life is intertwined with another, you often feel that you need to agree on everything and pull together, so to speak, on the things you're creating. But we want you to understand that you do not need another to pull with you, because the stream of creation contains all the pulling power that is necessary. However, you cannot pull against yourself and get to where you want to be. The reason why you sometimes feel that you're hindered by another is only because you're pushing against something. 
For example, let's say that you have a strong desire to move into a new house in another neighborhood and that your husband says that he wants to stay in your current house. If you were to think only about your new house, your day-to-day thoughts would be a vibrational match to your desire for the new house. And in the absence of resistance, circumstances and events would fall into place to accommodate your desire. However, if you think about your husband's opposite decision, spending time in your own mind justifying why you want the new house and feeling unhappy about his unwillingness to even consider it, then your day-to-day thoughts do not match your desire. You would have, by virtue of thinking about your husband's opposing thoughts, introduced resistance into your vibrational mix, and you would not be currently moving toward the outcome you want. In other words, your attention to your husband's decision would have you pointed in opposition to your own desire, and so it would feel to you as if he were the problem, when actually the problem would be contained in your own thoughts. Some would say, but if my husband would agree with me, then I wouldn't be having these contradictory thoughts. Of course, it is easier to feel good when you're looking at what you want to see, and so it is logical that it would be easier for you to line up with your desire if your husband were in full agreement with you. But there is true entrapment in the belief that your creations would go better if everyone around you would cooperate, because in the majority of cases, those around you are not going to focus with you in the direction of your desires, for everyone has their own personal and selfish interests that are getting the bulk of their attention. The awareness that you do not need the agreement of any other to create whatever you desire is truly liberating. And when you are no longer including the opposing thoughts of others into your vibrational mix, your power of influence increases powerfully. As your husband has been living in this house with you, he has discovered things about it that he would like to be improved. Like you, whenever he does not have the space for something, he launches rockets of desire for more space. In fact, we would like you to understand that a larger improved house is in your husband's vibrational escrow as well as your own. But he has been applying his logic to the idea and has determined that a new house would cause a financial discomfort, would take time to find, and would take more time to settle into. In other words, even though he also wants many of the same things you want for many of the same reasons, he is contradicting his desire with his practical thoughts. So not only is your desire part of the driving force of this current, but your husband's desire is causing the current also. In other words, he is helping in the creation of your new house, whether he knows that he is or not. So now that the two of you have created in your vibrational escrow this wonderful new place to live, and now that you're no longer using your husband's concerns as an excuse to contradict your own desire, and so are in perfect alignment with your new house, the house must come. It will come to you in a comfortable way that will be easily accepted by your husband. No one has the power to deprive you of anything. And when you understand that and no longer push against anything, all things that you desire will flow easily into your experience. And in time, through the power of your example, your husband may very well come to understand that these laws of the universe are not nuts at all, but that they are powerful, consistent, understandable, and applicable, and really fun to work with. It is of great value for you to understand that even though your husband may be approaching life differently than you are right now, his life is working for him just the same. Let him think as he thinks, be as he is, and want as he wants, for in doing so, nothing about him will hinder you. But if you attempt to reform him, you will most likely be focused upon unwanted aspects which you will include in your vibrational mix, which will hinder your creation, which could in time cause you to resent him for, seemingly, holding you back from your desires. All other people in your life, 
friends, strangers, even enemies, can contribute positively to your creative process, but you are the one who determines whether they add benefit or detriment, because you are the one who sees them in an upstream, resistant manner, or in a downstream, allowing manner. So begin where you are and reach for improved feeling, downstream thoughts. For instance, our life could go so much better if my husband would try to be more positive. These processes really work for me, but he refuses to even consider them. If he would just try them, I know he would benefit. If he would just try them, I know I would benefit. As I worry about what he's doing, I'm not really applying the processes. Even someone as close to me as my husband needn't affect my point of attraction. We don't disagree on everything. And while our agreement is satisfying, it's not required for me to get what I want. I've had the experience of secretly desiring things that did come to pass. Those wonderful things came to me without my collaboration with others. I'm powerful enough in my own beingness to create whatever I choose. I've been holding my husband in an unfair place by requiring his agreement. By holding to my ideas of what I desire, I'm in no way pushing against him. We make a good team because we approach life with a different view. It's satisfying to observe the cooperative universe responding to me. In time, if he wants, we can openly co-create on many subjects. In the meantime, I'll silently and joyously create whatever I choose. I look forward to his joyous discovery of these processes. I do love him. Example 22. I'm considered old in this society. Example. I'm in my 70s and there are a lot of things that I did when I was younger that I no longer do, but I actually don't feel much different than I felt most of my life. I look different for sure, but I don't feel so very different. Recently, I've been noticing how many people are making reference to age and old age. The comedians on television are relentless about the maladies of old people, and I have to say it's beginning to get to me. I believe that I have many happy and potentially productive years ahead of me, but I'm beginning to feel bad, maybe even depressed, about my age. Hmm. We find it humorous to hear an eternal being speaking of the shortness of life, but of course we understand that you're not seeing yourself in the full broad view in which we see you. The awareness that most humans have of themselves usually extends only from their physical entrance into this body to their physical exit from this body, and the longer they live and the closer to that exit they think they are, the more uncomfortable they become. If they only knew that the exit is but another entrance, their discomfort would be replaced with a delicious sense of eternal adventure. We can talk all day, every day, about the eternal nature of your being, but of course, you only see what you see, and this time-space reality in which you are focused is an environment that is so vividly focused that you call it real life, as if to say that the non-physical part of it, including us, is not real. As you deliberately reach for better feeling thoughts in an effort to apply our repetitive downstream-upstream analogy, you will eventually tune the vibration of your physical being to your own broader perspective. And as you do that, the lines of your physical entrances and exits will become blurred and not important as you don your broader eternal persona. When you are joyously focused in your current moment in time, allowing the broader part of you to flow through you completely, and exploring this now moment for nuggets of pleasing life experience, all feelings of lack will disappear as your eternal nature dominates. Your current moment will be so delicious and so compelling that there will be no time or interest to look longingly toward the past or feel the shortness of any future. You will begin to recognize that you will be alive and living life 
for eternity. You have no idea how very old you are, but you do feel as you feel, and you are the only one who can do anything about that. And the best part of this subject is that there really is nothing that you can do in terms of action to change this. You cannot fix it by demanding a behavioral adjustment from another or by turning back the calendar yourself, but you can find a way of approaching the subject of your age in a way that brings you into alignment with your broader perspective. And when you do, not only will you feel better immediately, but the rest of your physical experience will be filled with wonder and delight. So begin where you are and reach for increasingly better feeling thoughts. For instance, I hate the fun that comedians make of old people. Those comedians are so disrespectful. They don't care whose feelings they hurt. It gives me satisfaction to realize that one day they will be old. They will be old, that is, unless they get run over by a truck. That gives me satisfaction as well. I don't really wish them any harm. I wish understanding from them. I never like it when others' feelings are hurt. But people get their feelings hurt for a variety of reasons. Sometimes people get their feelings hurt for no apparent reason. Controlling the world to prevent hurt feelings is not possible. I don't need others to modify their behavior to soothe my feelings. I can take care of that myself. I guess I wanted to protect others from having their feelings hurt. I realize that their feelings are their responsibility. Comedians have a way of centering on sensitive issues that touch a nerve in the public. I'm learning that a nerve is always touched in me before I seek vibrational improvement. I guess I'll start listening for what's funny and stop being so sensitive. Example 23. My daughter lies constantly. Example. My daughter will stand before me and tell me an obvious lie without flinching at all. It would be humorous if it didn't make me so angry. She lies about nearly everything. She even lies about insignificant things. I've always believed that honesty is the best policy, and I've never set the example of lying. Why is she doing this? It's very upsetting. Each of you has come into your physical body understanding that you are a powerful creator, but you're born into an environment that, right from the beginning, demands your compliance. When you're younger, your sense of who you really are is stronger, but as those who surround you introduce their interests, ideas, and demands into your experience, you begin to feel the splitting of your own energies. Usually, this integration is gradual enough that those who surround you are satisfied that you're coming along in their intentional socialization process. But sometimes, very powerful beings, like your daughter, rebel. In the beginning, this rebellion is usually not even pointed at anything specific. And often, it's not even conscious on the part of the children. They simply feel intense negative emotion as the influence from others causes a splitting of their own energy. And, like anyone who wants to feel good but doesn't, they usually place the blame for their intense discomfort upon whomever they're interacting with at the time they're feeling it. And so it's logical that most children would direct most of their negative emotions due to their disconnection toward their parents, since their parents are the ones who are most consistently and most significantly attempting to influence them. So sometimes the lying is symptomatic of the intense discomfort they're feeling due to their realization they're being put in an impossible position of pleasing everyone. People often think that children who can be easily guided, who always do what is asked of them, and who are easily compliant are very good children. But children who have minds of their own, who do not want to go along with the ideas of others, are often regarded as troublesome and difficult. 
Problems do not usually arise until their own life experience has caused them to put things in their own vibrational escrow that they're being called toward, and then someone else in their life tries to keep them from following that calling. Most of the struggle between parents and children exists because parents are not willing to allow their children to live the lives that the children have come forth to live. Parents are usually extremely well-intentioned, wanting what they have been taught to believe is best for their child. But every person who comes forth into this physical experience comes with his or her own purpose and plan. By laying out guidelines and rules and by carefully watching your children to be sure they're doing as you say, you are actually undermining an essential tenet of their very existence. You are not allowing them to choose. And often you project the attitude that you do not trust them. And for most, once they get a whiff of that from you, you are not then well received, since it is so contrary to the understanding of their own inner being. In other words, the less time they can spend around you and that attitude, the better they like it. When anyone gets between you and your intention to be the creator of your own experience, watch out, because it never works out well. When you present strong rules to children, or to anyone, you are, without meaning to, actually cultivating the perfect environment for lying. When your children observe your positive response when they keep your rules, and your negative response whenever they break your rules, often your response becomes their dominant intention, and how they achieve that response becomes a lesser issue. They lie to you in an effort to keep you feeling good. Nothing can fill the void caused by disconnection with your own inner being other than the reconnection with it. And once you've discovered the wonderful experience of managing your own connection with Source, then you can encourage the same in your children. As your children witness your clarity, lightheartedness, and your overall well-being, you will teach them, through the power of your own example, how to connect with their own guidance. And that understanding is much more valuable than getting them to comply with any rules that you might impose. It's an interesting thing to see. Your daughter, for whatever reason, is not connected to Source, and therefore she feels bad. You observe in her what you do not want to see, therefore you're not connected to Source, so you feel bad. You blame your daughter for the way you feel, your daughter blames you for the way she feels, and on it goes. As you deliberately reach for downstream thoughts regarding your daughter, even though your current evidence doesn't easily evoke them, and you manage to release your resistance and come into alignment with who you really are, it will become easier and easier for you to see your daughter through the eyes of your broader perspective. And as you achieve that, it is our absolute promise that you will inspire the connection within your daughter as well. When you are in alignment with who you really are, you will only be seeing the very best in your daughter. And when your daughter is in alignment with who she really is, she will have no reason to tell you lies. There is no greater gift that a parent could give to their children than the example of being aligned with their own guidance. And so as you become one who consistently looks for and finds downstream thoughts of alignment, your children will learn to maintain their connection with that broader guidance as well. And then this gift of thriving can be passed on from generation to generation. So begin where you are and reach for improved feelings about your daughter. For instance, my daughter lies to me when the truth would serve her better. I do not understand her need to tell me lies. More often than not, when a person lies, it comes back and bites them. I don't want my daughter to develop patterns that are bad for her. I realize that everyone has their own individual point of view. And while I don't understand her reasons, I can see that she may have some of her own. I wish she trusted me with the truth. If my own response to her had always come from my place of connection, maybe she would now trust me more. 
I can't go back and undo anything I've done, but I can begin to be more allowing of her now. I can see that she sometimes lies in an attempt to be seen in a more positive light. I also understand that whenever she's lying, she's not in alignment with who she really is. I want my effort to be about inspiring her alignment, not punishing her for not being in alignment. I can see how her lie is a manifestation of her lack of connection, and her lack of connection is what I want to soothe. My concern now isn't for the lies themselves, but is instead for the reason for the lies. I don't want to stop her lies so much as to enhance her connection to her source. This sweet girl has often been connected to source. When she was little, she was the source of my inspiration on a daily basis. I have it in me to return the favor. Example 24. I keep getting passed over for promotions at work. Example. I've been working for the same company for many years, and I probably know this company better than anyone who works here. In fact, I believe I know it better than the owner of the company. There's a great deal of variety in my work, and I do like that, but it often feels as if things are assigned to me because no one else wants to do them. And since I've been here so long, I can do about everything that needs to be done. Last week, an employee who hasn't been here half as long as I have was promoted to shop supervisor, even though I thought I was next in line and more qualified. I can't understand why that position wasn't offered to me. I feel like quitting. Every subject is really two subjects. What is wanted and the lack of what is wanted. Right now, you're focused upon lack of the promotion. Most would say yes, but I wasn't focused upon the lack of the promotion until I didn't get it. However, what you're thinking and feeling and what comes to you always match. The more unappreciated you feel, the more unappreciated you are. People say, well, if someone would appreciate me, I would feel appreciated. We want you to understand that you have to feel appreciated in order to attract appreciation. Your vibration is your point of attraction, and you have control over your vibration because you have control over the direction of your thoughts. It is not necessary to trace back through your experience to discover when your first strong feelings of being unappreciated begin, for that usually only serves to activate those vibrations in a stronger way and cause you to feel worse. Instead, you can start right where you are and reach for better feeling thoughts. People from all walks of life commonly complain that less deserving people are claiming the rewards that they believe are due them. But we want you to understand that no one receives anything unfairly. The law of attraction responds fairly, consistently, and powerfully to the vibrations that you are emitting. And if what is happening in your experience does not please you, you have only to identify what you would prefer, focus upon it until it's easy for you to focus in that way, and then it will be yours. Further, if something that you want doesn't come to you, and in fact you see another win the prize, so to speak, there is even benefit for you in that situation as well, because your vibrational escrow just became stronger and clearer, and the forces of the universe are now flowing more powerfully on your behalf. But as you stand in an attitude of complaint, you're pointed upstream while your new and improved creation is downstream. And so the more you want it, the worse you feel. We want you to realize that you cannot fail because every moment of your life is causing an evolution of your desires, and the forces of the universe are working toward their fulfillment. You are the only one who could ever stand in the way and prevent the receiving of those desires. And the good news is, when you're hindering the desires, your negative, upstream emotion is letting you know that you're doing so right now. An interesting way to approach this situation is this. 
Look at the person who received the promotion and feel glad that it angered you so. For the strong emotion you're feeling means the creation of an improved working environment is strong within you. And then feel glad. Glad that you're aware of the anger and hurt feelings, for that means your guidance system is working. Glad that this uncomfortable situation has been clarifying and that your vibrational escrow is bigger and better than before this all happened. Glad that you have the ability right now, if you want to, to let go of the oars and begin moving towards your own even more stunning promotion. Glad that there are no limits to the promotions that are being lined up on your behalf. And glad that by paying attention to the way you feel and by reaching consistently for the relief of a downstream thought, a never-ending stream of wonderful opportunities will come your way. When you are focused upon your desires and are therefore consistently feeling good because you're in complete alignment, you emit a vibrational resume and opportunities appear everywhere before you. When you've practiced the feeling of success, successful people are drawn to you. When you are practicing the feeling of disappointment, successful people cannot find you. Even if you're standing very near them, they still cannot see you because you are out of alignment with the success they are seeking. It is possible for a nearsighted employer to overlook your value and choose someone else, but the universe at large has you squarely in its sights, and it is not possible for your value to be overlooked. Instead, your precise value is being specifically lined up for the most satisfying rendezvous imaginable. Do not let some insignificant letdown point you upstream away from all that you desire. Instead, make the best of where you are, reach for better feeling thoughts, and prepare yourself to be surprised and amazed by the caliber of promotions that are laid out before you on your never-ending journey of expansion. So, begin where you are and try to find improved downstream thoughts. For instance, no matter how long I'm here or how dedicated I am, I'm still overlooked. I'll never get promoted because I've done everything humanly possible and still didn't get the promotion. There are unfair factors at play that I don't understand. Hmm. While you may very well be justified in what you're thinking and feeling, these are all upstream thoughts of powerlessness, so continue reaching. For example, that position should have been mine. I know my employer knows I'm more qualified, so what reason could he possibly have for making this unfair decision? I should just quit. It would be interesting to watch this guy managing without me. Then they'll find out who's been holding it all together all this time. Ah, the sweet relief of revenge. You're still in an extremely negative state of being, but compared to the powerlessness you've been feeling, this is an improvement. Continue reaching, for instance. I know I'm not the only one who's working hard at work. There are many people who are deserving of more appreciation and rewards than they're receiving. It's not my intent to shut the place down, causing hardship for so many. It's not my intent to quit, causing hardship for my family and myself. I'm probably not the only one who would have liked this promotion. I'm probably not the only one who felt deserving of it either. I can pull myself together and make the best of this. I'm going to watch the guy who got the promotion and look for traits that may have made the difference. I'm willing to learn and expand. It's possible that this particular promotion wasn't really in my best interest. There may be something even better for me coming down the road. When I really think about it, I'm probably not ready for the responsibility of that particular promotion. I like that it made me think, though. I feel energized from the process. 
I can feel how this has expanded my awareness and my horizons. I'm not unhappy with the way this has unfolded. I'm actually quite happy with where I am. I feel eager about what's still to come. Example 25. I do not have the time or money to care for my parents, and I feel guilty. Example. Both of my parents are sick and can no longer care for themselves. I live hundreds of miles away from them and have a full-time job, so I can't personally take care of them. So their doctor has advised me to find a place for them where they can be taken care of. They've always worked hard, but they haven't managed to save any money at all, and they have very few assets that could be converted to cash. I've done some checking, and I find that I can't afford the kind of facility I'd like them to be in, and the other options are far less than pleasing. I feel terrible about this. When we meet parents who are worried about their children, we always tell them that they're not helping the children with their worry. And when we meet children who are worried about their parents, we tell them exactly the same thing. Your concern and worry do not help, but are instead indicators that you are cutting yourself off from help. Whenever you see what you do not want, like the failing health of someone you love, you send strong vibrational rocket requests into your own vibrational escrow. And so, while you do not realize it right now, for as long as you have known your parents, and especially during those years you have been feeling concerned about them, your vibrational escrow has expanded substantially on their behalf. But during your moments of concern and worry, you are so staunchly pointed in opposition to your own desires for your parents that you could not possibly have access to even one good idea that would help them. However, as you learn to ignore the worrisome thoughts and guide yourself more consistently to downstream thoughts about this subject, Many circumstances and events will unfold, offering solutions to your problems and answers to your questions. You cannot solve the health care crisis in this world, but that is not your work. Your work is only to come into alignment with your own personal desires, and you have many desires regarding your parents. You will know by the way you are feeling if you are pointing downstream toward solutions. And while you may feel good for a while without seeing evidence of improved conditions, it's not possible for you to consistently point downstream regarding something that's important to you without beginning to see results. And as you appreciate any evidence of your alignment, more will follow. Since you are faced with what feels like an immediate crisis, it feels to you that you have no pleasing options whatsoever. As you go over and over this in your mind, considering one unpleasant option after another, your discomfort grows, and from where you stand, feeling as you're feeling, no viable solutions can show themselves to you. In other words, solutions cannot come while the problem rages within you. You must find a way to soothe the feeling of the problem. You may argue that you would feel soothed if your parents' health would improve, or if they had enough money to pay for their own private care, or if there were a wonderful facility nearby that would give them care at no cost, or if you had enough money that you could hire people to help them, but those conditions do not exist, and you have no way of making them exist right now. And so most people, faced with unpleasant situations over which they have no control, just continue to worry. But from that place of worry, you have no access to solutions. Your only option right now is to find a way of feeling better. And while you may not realize it at first, that is a significant option. For as you are able to feel better, without the unpleasant situation actually changing, your vibration will shift, causing you to come into closer alignment with the clarified desires that you are holding regarding your parents. And when you come into alignment with what you want most for them, many doors will begin to open for you. Obvious paths will appear before you, and you will know what to do. Viable solutions to every situation surround you at all times. 
but in your state of worry or blame or concern, we could insert a very long list of negative emotions here, you cannot see those solutions. So make an effort to improve the way you feel. Remember, your objective here is not to actually find the solution at this time, but only to find relief. In fact, when you're determined to find a solution before you've lined up your energy, you nearly always turn upstream instead of downstream. Relief is your goal here. For instance, I'm so worried about my parents. I don't know what will happen to them. I wish they'd taken better care of themselves. I wish they'd made better financial plans for their future. Those statements accurately reflect where you are. Now reach for thoughts that give you relief. For instance, no decision needs to be made today. Although this has been building, there's plenty of time to figure it out. I know how it is that in one moment there are no good ideas, and in the next there is a good idea. Before an answer comes, it often feels like it will never come, and then when the answer does arrive, you wonder why you ever doubted that it was coming. Now already you're feeling better, and even with this short time of self-soothing, ideas may begin to flow to you. It's our encouragement, however, that you resist the temptation to jump into action too soon. Because the better you feel before you jump into action, the more appropriate the action will be and the more positive the outcome you will receive. Let's continue. There must be many others who find themselves in similar circumstances. I'm certain that many people find themselves in this situation. That means that many people have been asking for solutions. And when people ask, the answers are always given, so there are certainly many viable solutions waiting to be discovered. We may very well allow our own unique solution. It will be so satisfying once I make that discovery. As things shift in me to allow my access to wonderful solutions, perhaps things are shifting in our culture at large to allow more widespread solutions. What others are allowing, or not, does not affect me. I'm eagerly awaiting an easy flow of good ideas to facilitate my parents' care. When you realize that a brief exercise like this is all you need to do at this time, you are on your way. Not only is it all that you need to do, it is all that you can do, but it is enough. When you feel better, you have released resistance, and in the absence of resistance, a clear path lights up before you, which leads you step by step to the solutions you seek. Example 26. I'm wasting my life stuck in traffic. Example. I live in a big city with millions of people, and the traffic is terrible. I commute over an hour each way to and from my place of employment, and that's when things are going well. But there are times when I'm stuck in traffic for hours because of road construction or an accident. I guess I could try to find a home that's closer to my work, but there are so many things for me to consider. It isn't easy to find everything my family and I want in a house that at the same time is near enough to my work to make that much difference. But I feel like I'm wasting my life sitting in traffic. No matter what it is that people desire, one of the greatest hindrances that slows the process of receiving it and sometimes keeps them from ever obtaining it is their fixation upon where they stand in relationship to where they want to be. People will say, I want to be over there, but here I am over here. And since here, where they stand, is so easy for them to observe, it usually dominates the bulk of the vibrations that they offer. Well, you may be thinking, yes, but this is a situation where I really am here, and I would really rather be there, and I can't physically pick myself up and transport myself to another location. But we want you to understand that whether you want to be well from your place of sickness, 
or slender from your place of fatness, or rich from your place of poverty, or flowing in traffic rather than stuck in traffic, the dynamics of creation are the same. When you want something and you believe that having it will make you feel good, if right now you feel bad, you're not moving toward what you want. You have to feel good now, no matter what the conditions are, or the conditions cannot improve. You must make peace, so to speak, with where you are to allow yourself to move to a place you would rather be. People often worry that making peace with an unpleasant situation is equivalent to giving in and accepting it, so that now the unwanted will only remain longer. But that's not what happens at all. When you make peace with where you are, you feel better, or turn downstream, so to speak, and flow toward what you do want. Whenever you writhe in discomfort or whine and complain, you're turned upstream and away from what you want for the duration of your discomfort. The more you complain about traffic, the more you prevent improvement in your situation. Some would say that traffic is what it is, so your experience within it is not in your control. But there's nothing that affects you over which you have no control. However, you cannot affect positive change from your position of lack. Any action that's taken from a place of negative emotion will not yield positive results. If you're able to bring yourself from a position of discomfort into a peaceful position of feeling good, even though no outside condition has changed, in a short time the outside condition must change. If you continue to observe an unpleasant condition, making no effort to find a better feeling way of seeing it, the condition will not only not improve, but the law of attraction will bring further evidence to support it. The things you are observing cannot change until you see them in a different way. Many people say, give me more money, and then I'll feel more prosperous. We say you must feel more prosperous, and then more money will come. The key to deliberate creation is simply to decide how you want to feel, and then to figure out a way to feel that way now. And when you do, everything around you will acquiesce to your newfound basis of attraction. The powerful law of attraction is utterly cooperative and absolutely precise. A clear route or path from where you are to where you want to be is always available, but when you're feeling negative emotion, you cannot find it. As you consistently feel good, your timing will improve, new ideas will occur to you, road improvements that have been bogged down in committees will be freed up, work projects you have wanted will show up around the corner, your employer will tell you that he wants you to work from your home, the resources of the universe are vast and unlimited, and now you have access to them. So begin where you are and reach for improved feeling thoughts. For instance, why would I choose to live in a place where I spend all of my time sitting here breathing in fumes? I can hardly bear to sit here. I want to abandon my car and just run off into the bushes. Hmm. We have offered this exaggerated example of how some feel as they're stuck in traffic in order to amplify something significant. The way you're feeling right now as you're stuck in traffic is rarely only because you're right now stuck in traffic. In other words, those who are pleased with how life is going, happy in their relationships, thriving financially, feeling good in their bodies, are not nearly as bothered about being stuck in traffic as others who are out there hanging on the raw and ragged edge of life regarding other aspects of their life experience. However, no matter how you feel or how bad it is, and no matter what the reasons are why you feel so bad, your work is still exactly the same. From where you are, make an effort to feel just a little bit of relief. If your discomfort as you're stuck in traffic is really only a feeling of frustration because you're stuck in traffic, you'll be able to easily bring yourself to a better feeling place. And as you do so consistently, day after day, while you're sitting in slow-moving traffic, you'll begin to receive impulses that will serve you. Your timing as you enter the roadways will improve. Your impulse to exit the freeway and take the surface roads for a distance will serve you. 
In your state of alignment, you'll begin to move with other drivers in a sort of cosmic dance that you will find amazing and exhilarating. The entire universe cooperates with you when you're in the flow of your own vibrational stream. For example, I think that I'll use this time to ponder some important things. Since thinking is more important than action, I'll use this time of not much action to think. It's fun to observe other people in the cars around me. It's sort of like going to a party where you can see other people in other conversations even though you're not personally conversing with them. It's fun to guess what they're discussing or what their life's about. I enjoy the wide variety of people, vehicles, and stories that surround me in traffic. I like the idea of using my own thoughts to create my own story. I like the idea of my story radiating out of me and out of my vehicle. It's fun to get tuned into my best feeling self and then notice the other drivers that notice me. It may very well turn out that my favorite part of life is slowly moving down this freeway, watching the evidence of my own vibrational offering. And here's a new dilemma for a future discussion. I sometimes miss the slow-moving traffic during which I did my very best thinking. This is the end of CD 6. Example 27. Now that I know about the law of attraction, my thoughts worry me. Example. I'm having a hard time controlling my thoughts, and that really worries me now that I know that I'm attracting to me the essence of whatever I'm thinking about. I think I was happier before I knew about the law of attraction because now my thoughts scare me. Sometimes I find myself thinking about something really awful and then I worry that just because I was thinking about it, it's going to happen. It's very good when you are aware that your thoughts are scaring you because it means that you can feel the results of your own guidance system. In other words, when you feel fear, it means that your in this moment thought is contrary to the thoughts your inner being is having about this subject. So when you think about bad things happening, it's logical that your inner being would not join you in those kinds of thoughts. The very emotion of fear that you're describing is only your guidance system letting you know that you're thinking an upstream thought of resistance. Fear does not mean that something bad is going to happen immediately, but it does mean that this is an upstream thought. If you remain pointed upstream long enough, you could deprive yourself of the well-being that's natural. But it need not take you long to get into the habit of thinking downstream thoughts. With a little bit of practice, you will discover how easy it is to let go of those oars of resistance. And when you consistently release your feelings of fear by deliberately directing your thoughts, it will not be possible for bad things to occur in your experience. As you are consistently feeling good and flowing toward the things you desire, those close to you will be influenced by your example until it is possible that you could positively influence your children, your mate, your parents, your siblings, and your friends to more positive, deliberate creation. We do not want you to be afraid of fear. We do want you to understand it and benefit by the guidance that it offers you. Fear simply means you're pointed upstream, and we want you to understand that you have to point upstream for a significant time with great consistency before you disallow your well-being to the point of a truly negative creation. And even if a negative thing does occur, you have the ability to regroup, get refocused, and create differently the next time. Many people would explain that their fear was natural and assert that it was valid as they point out the bad things that are happening in their lives or in the lives of others they care about. But the reason why people sometimes go from one negative experience to another is simply because when the first unwanted thing happens, they give a great deal of their attention to it, which then creates the second, and so on. 
most people do offer the majority of their thoughts in response to the things in their life that they are observing. Some stubbornly ask, but how did the first negative thing come about? And our answer is, everything that happens to you is but a byproduct of your consistent thoughts and feelings. Others often argue, but what about the little children? How is it that they would create something so negative in their experience? We want you to understand that even though a little child may not be speaking in words, at no time is that child not emitting a vibration that the law of attraction is responding to. All of you learn to offer your vibrations from the environment that surrounds you. Even while in your mother's womb, you are picking up vibrations from her and from her surroundings. But there's no reason to be unhappy about anything that's affected you previously, for you have complete power right here and now to choose improved feeling thoughts. And now that you understand the stream of life, and that you can always tell by the way you feel whether you're pointed downstream toward the fulfillment of your desires or upstream and resistant to your desires, you will never again be negatively influenced without your knowledge. All of you understood, when you made the decision to come forth into this body, that you would be surrounded by a smorgasbord of thoughts, and that some of them would be to your liking and some would not. But not one of you wished for a limiting of the environment into which you were being born, for you understood then, as you're coming to remember now, the power of your own guidance system and the value of the diversity from which you would make your choices. With a little practice, you will not only no longer fear your thoughts, but you will take delight in them. For there's not a more delicious moment than one in which you have directed your thoughts to harmonize with the broader perspective of your being. When you observe the people, places, and experiences of your world through the eyes of your inner being, they do not frighten you, they delight you. So begin where you are and reach for the relief of the better feeling thoughts. For instance, I'm not good at controlling my thoughts. I catch myself in the middle of unpleasant thoughts all day long. At times, though, I do contemplate very positive things. I've noticed that positive topics expand in my mind also. I do see that the law of attraction is giving me more thoughts that are like my current active thought. I could choose more deliberately which thought I decide to make the active thought. I do know that when I know what I don't want, I also know what I do want. I could lean more deliberately in a more positive direction. There are many positive things happening in my life. I do know that there's more going on that's positive than negative. This must mean my thoughts are leaning more in the positive direction. It's not necessary for every thought I think to be a perfectly positive thought. It isn't even possible to think only positive thoughts. My work is merely to lean in a positive direction. I think I'm doing that. I'm doing that much more so now than a few weeks ago. I'm directing my thoughts. Not only do I feel better these days, but things are turning out better for me. I now see that the evidence I'm looking for is an improved feeling rather than a changed condition. I also know that a consistently improved feeling will be the forerunner of an improved condition. I not only understand the process of creation, I am effectively applying it. Example 28. My husband is very sick. Example. The doctors are telling us that my husband is very sick and they aren't suggesting any more treatment because they don't believe that there are any more medical alternatives. He's been dealing with this illness for a few years now and I guess that as long as the doctors were still making suggestions, we believed he would eventually recover. But now we're both feeling hopeless and frightened. I don't know what to do and I don't know what I should be saying to him should I continue to hold out hope for his recovery, or should I be preparing him and myself for his death? 
It's not easy to find your own balance when you're watching someone you care about experiencing the physical and mental discomfort of an illness. Even though you've lived with this man for many years and your lives are intertwined in so many ways, you have no way of really understanding his mix of vibrations between his day-to-day thoughts and the vibrations of his inner being. Only your own mix of vibrations is truly available to you. Family members often have such a strong opinion of what they desire regarding the illness of their loved one that they hinder more than they help. But it is possible, even under these intense conditions, to find and maintain your balance. And when you do, you help every time. You cannot think for your husband, and you cannot create his reality. But you can think for yourself, and you can create your own reality. And when you find your own true alignment, your power of influence is very strong. So, some might say, then I will find my alignment, whatever that takes, and then I'll influence my mate to his recovery. But we would say instead, I will find my alignment and therefore influence him to his alignment. And then he can do as he truly desires to do. There are big differences in those two statements. Sickness is always due to a vibrational imbalance. In every case, sickness means that an individual has a strong current flowing, but he or she is pointed upstream for some reason. As they ponder the problems of the world in which they live, most people think thoughts that cause internal resistance because often they are unaware of the vibrations within them. Even babies are influenced by these upstream vibrations as they acclimate to the environment that surrounds them. Scientists and doctors continually seek cures for the illnesses of their times, and so they offer a never-ending stream of changing options in medicine, treatment, and diet. But they will continue to lose more ground each year as more diseases are discovered than are cured until they come to the following understanding. Rather than seeking a medical cure for a disease, you must understand the vibrational cause of it for there's not enough action in the world to compensate for misaligned energy. So, there's great reason for you to feel hopeful again about your husband's recovery, for now that the medical community has given up on him, he is now more likely to turn his attention to the only thing that really ever works anyway, the alignment of his own being. It's not uncommon for humans to wait until they have run out of action alternatives before they make an effort at aligning their own energy. And then when the recovery comes, the doctors pronounce it to be a miracle. But it's not a miracle at all. It is simply a realigning of thoughts, vibrations, and energy. Since whenever you know what you do not want, you always know more clearly what you do want, your husband has been adding to his vibrational escrow relative to his physical body in a powerful way for a while now which means that his stream is moving very fast. In other words, the sicker people are, the more rockets of desire for wellness they're sending into their vibrational escrow. But as that stream moves faster, and their inner being calls them even more powerfully toward the expansion of wellness, if they don't turn and go in the direction of the wellness, then they become sicker still. You see how it works? So you could accurately say, the sicker I am, the more potential for wellness I've set into motion. It's actually easier to recover from something deadly than it is to get over something minor because the deadly thing has put so much power in vibrational escrow. Your willingness to feel good is the only requirement. Since your husband is the only one who has vibrational control of his being, you cannot do this work for him. It is your work to maintain your own vibrational balance even in the midst of this unsettling situation. And as you're able to do that, your power of influence will be very strong. Under these circumstances, you may easily find unsettling thoughts, but you must guide your mind to better-feeling thoughts, not for your husband's sake, but for your own. And then, when you are in alignment with your desire, you will have a positive influence on him. If you seek your own alignment, 
apart from wanting to help your husband, it will be much more possible for you to help him. But if you seek alignment so that you can help him, you will more likely be focused upon his illness. Therefore, you will not find your alignment. And so you will not be offering the powerful, influential vibration that is possible when you are in alignment. Nearly everyone you would meet would tell you that the way you feel is really dependent upon your husband's improvement. But we want you to understand that you must find a way to feel good whether he gets better or worse or lives or dies, for only when you're selfish enough to do that can you help him. Try to find some better feeling thoughts beginning where you are. For instance, I want to help my husband get well. The doctors say that there's no hope. I can't find my place because I don't want to give up, but I feel foolish holding out hope. I've gone from being terrified at the idea of him dying to being resigned that he is going to die. And I feel guilty about giving in to the idea of him dying. I feel that I should be the last one to give in. Hmm. Feel the futility in trying to sort this out. Now turn your attention to something you can control. Try to improve the way you feel. Do not try to save your husband's life. Do not try to sort out the issues of life and death. Do not try to reform the doctors or make medicine better. Do the only thing that you can do. Improve the way you feel by deliberately choosing your thoughts. For example, some days I feel unbearable emotional discomfort, and some days I feel somewhat better. I do understand that my emotions, even in these extreme conditions, do vary. The idea of feeling relief from these debilitating emotions does sound nice. It does give me comfort to realize that it's not my job to change my husband's condition. This is helping me realize that there must be huge value in getting a handle on this death thing. It seems utterly illogical to me that death, which happens to every single person who has ever lived on this earth or ever will live on this earth, is bad in some way. I don't want my husband to die, but I do feel relief when I realize that it's not my job to change that. It feels good to expect to someday completely understand how our physical world meshes with the non-physical world. It does feel good to remember that we're all eternal beings. I feel relief in understanding that the death experience isn't one of separation. I'm so glad to know that our thoughts transcend the death experience. I like remembering that our relationships are eternal. I want my husband to find relief, whether he finds it and remains here or releases into his non-physical perspective. It's comforting to me to focus upon his finding relief. While we would not ask you to come to a complete understanding and resolution of the death subject, which has plagued humankind for such a long time, in one short looking-for-downstream-thoughts effort, we will tell you that your vibration has substantially shifted here, and that is worth much more than most realize. Words do not teach, but life experience does. And as you find the true relief that's only possible by your deliberate directing of your own thoughts, you will radiate a different vibration that can influence the vibration of your husband. And with his desire peaked at its highest ever level due to the intensity of what he is living, then a little bit of allowing, as you and he both release resistance, can go a very long way. From your perspective, the best thing that could happen is you feel so much better. You help him feel so much better. His energies are greatly improved. His health returns. From your perspective, the worst thing that could happen is you feel so much better, you feel so much better, you feel so much better, 
he makes his reemergence into pure positive energy, he feels so much better. You will never know the wonderful power of your influence toward the well-being of all until you come into full alignment with who you really are. Example 29. My lover left me. Example. My boyfriend, whom I've been living with for the last two years, moved out. We didn't agree on everything, and we did fight about some things, but nothing very serious. I thought that we were doing okay, and I can't believe that he doesn't want us to be together anymore. He swears that he's not going to be with someone else, but how can you supposedly love someone and then just all of a sudden move out for no reason? Most people who want a relationship believe that a mediocre relationship is better than no relationship at all. But we do not agree with that. In other words, since the potential for a glorious relationship always exists, we never encourage settling for less. Remember that you feel the way you do because of the mix of vibrations within you, and that no two people feel exactly the same way about anything. It's possible for two people to be sharing what appears to be an identical experience, but one person is enjoying it while the other is not because their individual mixture of vibrations varies. Rather than trying to figure out what another person wants and then putting your efforts towards satisfying his or her desires, it's much more productive and satisfying for you to be directing your thoughts toward the things that you desire. Whatever you are living is causing you to make regular deposits into your vibrational escrow account. So anytime something happens that you do not want, you send out a request for what you prefer instead. So, for example, now that your lover has left your experience, your request for someone who wants to be with you has been submitted in a stronger, clearer way than ever before. Many of your experiences throughout this lifetime have caused you to make requests, and so you've created a magnificent relationship that waits for you in vibrational escrow and calls you toward the fulfillment of it. And as you find more downstream thoughts, you get closer to the realization of these desires. But today, while your heart is breaking, you're going against the current, and you're not allowing yourself to get closer to the relationship that waits for you. People are often amazed when we tell them that every bad thing that's ever happened to them in a relationship is part of the reason why such a magnificent relationship now waits for them. However, if they continue to beat the drum of those bad things that have happened, they'll continue to deprive themselves of the discovery of that wonderful creation. Some might argue that even though it seems that someone abruptly made a decision and left, there had to be signs of your relationship breaking down that you were missing, and that if you had been more tuned in to your boyfriend, you might have been able to turn this around if you had caught the trouble at an earlier stage. But we're quite pleased that you did not see this coming, because that means you were not looking for trouble, and we can also tell that you were predominantly focused upon the positive aspects of your relationship. So, if I was predominantly thinking positive thoughts, then why did he leave? Well, this is something we really want you to come to understand. When you are predominantly feeling good, all things are aligning for your ultimate satisfaction. In other words, your life with its ups and downs has caused you to create a vibrational escrow of a wonderful future life experience, and you're being called toward it. So whenever you're feeling good, that wonderful future is in the process of making its way to you and you to it. Simply put, anyone who moves out of your experience for any reason was not a match to the wonderful future that's waiting for you in vibrational escrow. Here's something else that you might find fascinating. Let's say that you were watching your boyfriend closely in your desire to please him in every way possible, and you had begun to notice that he was beginning to be unhappy and no longer completely satisfied in your relationship. And then, in your awareness of his unhappiness, you begin to feel worried, and so you tried harder and harder to make him happy. 
The most important thing that we want you to understand is that in your focus, which caused your unhappiness, you're no longer a match to your own desires. So now you're moving upstream, not downstream. You're a match to his unhappiness, not to your true desires. And in that situation, you would probably hold him in your experience longer. In other words, by focusing upon your boyfriend's unhappiness and in your efforts to modify conditions to bring him to a happier place, you're actually becoming more out of alignment with who you really are and what you really want. You've soothed him, and so he stays longer, and many think that is success. But from the bigger picture, what has happened is that you have worked to please him instead of yourself. And under those conditions, in time, you would be the one who would be wanting to leave. By being unaware of his discomfort and by continuing to focus upon positive aspects in your relationship, you remain true to your real vision of a relationship. And since he's not matching that true vision, he is leaving. And friend, we promise you, that is not a bad thing. When you consistently feel good, even when people are freaking out around you and even leaving you, what you really want must find you. It will be more difficult now, but in the same way you did not let his increasing unhappiness affect you, if you can now not allow his leaving to upset you, then the relationship that you've been crafting all along will come to you. And then your work will be the same again, to look for positive aspects. Do not get drawn into anyone's drama. Do not stand on your head to please others in a distorted way of soothing their misalignment. It's better to let those things that are not a match leave your experience. This pain you're feeling is multifaceted as it touches on so many things that matter to you. Not only do you feel unloved when what you want is love, but you feel insecure when what you want is security. You feel abandoned while what you want is to be adored. And while we understand that so soon after your lover has left you, it's not easy to find good-feeling thoughts, still, that must be your dominant intention. The law of attraction is matching you up with circumstances, events, and other people who match your vibration. And so if you will deliberately choose your vibration, especially one that matches your own specifically created vibrational escrow, someone you would consider to be a perfect mate must come to you. Conversely, if you do not line up with the lover you really want, you will attract a lover who matches how you feel. And if you feel abandoned, you can only attract another who will behave in the same way. With far less time and effort than you think, you can come into alignment with your idea of a perfect relationship. And there will be a time, not so far from now, when you'll look back on this lover who just left you with great appreciation for the serious contribution he helped you make toward the creation of your perfect mate. You may want to write him a letter that says, Thank you for breaking my heart, and in the process helping me to clarify what I really want. Thank you for the painful experience of giving birth to such powerful rockets of desire that when I turned in the direction of that desire, I was swiftly transported into this blissful relationship. It is my desire that your interaction with me has provided you with the same wonderful benefit. Many people work very hard to try to make things work out, but we want you to understand that when you work to bring yourself into alignment with you rather than into alignment with what someone else wants you to be, then the universe will bring you the match. Just work to maintain your alignment, and the universe will deliver to you partners who are aligned. It is law. So start where you are and reach for increasingly better-feeling thoughts. For example, I'm in a state of shock and depression. I don't know what to do. I can't believe this has happened. I thought he was the one. Why would he lead me on like that? Why would he pretend that he wanted to be with me forever? Now, see if you can move from your feeling of powerlessness. Reach for something that makes you at least feel like getting out of bed. For instance, this is the last time something like this will happen to me. I don't deserve to be treated like this. 
I'm glad that he left because clearly he's not who I thought he was. Negative as these thoughts are, they're giving you a feeling of relief. Keep going. Clearly, we aren't right for each other. There's no point in wasting more time figuring that out. This was an extremely clarifying situation for me. I've learned so much in such a short period of time. Thinking back, I can sort of feel this coming. At the time, I didn't want to see it, but now I realize it had been coming. I'm not sorry that this has happened. Nothing terrible has really happened here. It's not a bad thing to find out that what I really want is somewhere else. This relationship has helped me to more clearly define who I am and what I'm looking for. I feel newly energized regarding relationships. I'm going to take my time as I move forward. There's no urgency about figuring this out. I'm actually happy to have some breathing space. In a strange way, I'm looking forward to what comes next. I know that what will come next will be better because of this relationship. Someday I may thank him for helping me to get clear about what I do want. However, that day is not today. Well, maybe it is, a little. You have to admit you do feel better, and that is your only work. If you will continue to feel good, everything that you desire must come. Example 30. My pet is sick. Example. My dog is relatively young, but he's sick all the time. My veterinarian bills are enormous because it seems that as soon as my dog gets over one thing, then he gets sick with something else. I love my dog, and I don't want him to suffer or to die, but I also don't want to have to keep taking him to the vet. What's going on with him? Hmm. Your dog, as with all the beasts on your planet, is usually much more in alignment with his inner being than most humans. But the beasts in the wild are more often in alignment than those who spend more time around humans because domesticated animals, simply by observing their human co-creators, often begin to split their energy in the way that humans do. Also, since everyone, human and beast alike, inherently wants freedom, an animal who's confined often feels more resistance than one who's free to roam. It's hard for a human to understand this, but the beasts of your planet would choose freedom over security every time. Nevertheless, Many animals are perfectly happy sharing their environment with humans, and what may appear to you to be an environment of confinement causes no resistance in their overall vibrational alignment. However, your animals never fare well in environments of strong negative emotion. Pure, positive energy animals in the wild will run from a human who approaches, not because they fear you, but because you do not feel good to them. Over time, your domesticated animals begin to adjust to the vibration of humans and are able for the most part to maintain their alignment even while interacting with you. And, like you, whatever they give their attention to makes up the vibrational balance of their being. As they hold you as the object of attention and you're not in alignment with your own source energy, they are influenced to less connection as well. Your animals are resilient, however, and they can easily come back into alignment, for they do not hold grudges and play past scenarios over again in their minds as humans do. Once an uncomfortable situation passes, they let it go completely. However, if animals are subjected to daily stress or anger or are made to feel like they are in the way or unwanted, their energy can get out of balance enough that their bodies will begin to demonstrate evidence of their misalignment. There are many students of deliberate creation who really want to understand how to create their own reality, who are working to understand their emotional guidance system, who want to more consistently flow downstream, and who do not really decide to apply what they know until they discover that they are negatively affecting their pets. It's a bit funny that people will put up with the discomfort of their own negative emotions if the results of that are only impacting them, 
but when they discover that they are also impacting the lives of their dear pets, then they are willing to try to make changes. While it's nice that you care about the well-being of your animal, we want you to care about your own well-being as well. If you're pointed upstream, feeling negative emotion, and you make no effort to let go of the oars, the law of attraction will continue to respond to your vibration. Your situation will intensify, and you will feel worse. If you continue to make no effort to release the resistance, the law of attraction will continue to respond to your vibration. Your situation will increase, and you will feel worse still. If you still continue to make no effort, in time, your own physical body will begin to show symptoms of the imbalance. Sometimes your dear pet demonstrates the physical symptoms as part of your guidance system. It's as if he understands that you're willing to endure negative emotions while you're not willing to negatively influence your pet. And so often your pet is fulfilling an intention that the two of you set forth before either of you were born into your physical bodies, that of reminding you of your vibrational countenance. Your pet would also like to help you get over this death thing, for it understands that there is no death, but only eternal life. Your pet joyously romps into physical body after physical body, dreading death never, enjoying its own joyful ride on its own joyful river. Your dog is among the best teachers on the planet. So, reach for some better feeling thoughts about your beloved pet. For instance, I wish I understood why my dog continually gets sick. I can find no value in this at all. I hate to see him feeling bad, and it's costing me a fortune. I'm tempted to just let him find his own way, but I don't want him to suffer or die. I can't afford these veterinarian bills. Taking him to the veterinarian feels bad. Not taking him feels worse. Since I can't find an action that gives me relief, maybe I should just try to feel better. It's possible that this great dog is trying to tell me something. I'm going to try to stand back from this situation and look for what I can see in it. One thing I notice right away is that even though my dog clearly doesn't feel well physically, he doesn't seem to be worried about it. And while he's not frisky like he used to be, his attitude seems mostly positive. When I speak to him, he always makes an effort to wag his tail a bit. Sometimes it feels like he's trying to soothe me because I'm worried about him. I would like to soothe him by not seeming worried about him. I'm going to make an effort to be more positive about his condition. I'm going to speak to him in more optimistic terms. I'll no longer complain about the cost of the veterinarian. When I'm not with him, I'm going to pretend he's improved. When I come home from work, I'll look for improvement. When I see the slightest symptom of him feeling better, I'll talk about that. I'm going to look for reasons to feel good about him and ignore anything else. I sense that he's helping me to focus my thoughts deliberately. I can see how he's a great teacher of unconditional love, as he won't modify this condition so I can feel better. I feel that's his message to me. Feel better because you choose to, not because I'm giving you the reason to feel better. That is so empowering. What a great dog. Example 31. I never have enough money. Example. I can't remember a time when I wasn't worried about money. Every time I turn around, there's another unexpected expense, and it seems like the things that I need to buy for my family and for myself keep going up and up in price, but my wages aren't going up nearly as fast as my expenses. I used to work 40 hours a week, and my wife didn't work outside of our home. Now she has a full-time job, and I work 60 hours a week, and we still never have any extra money. I see other people taking vacations and buying new homes and new cars, and I wonder how they're doing it. What am I missing? While it seems logical, 
that your financial budget is only about the simple economics of finding a balance between the money that's coming in and the money that's going out, there's another powerful factor that most people do not understand. You simply cannot offer enough action to compensate for the contradictory energy of your being. As you feel the way you do about money, even though your experience certainly justifies the way you feel, things cannot improve because the law of attraction is responding to your vibration, not to your actions. Of course, there are obvious variables in the productivity of action that are easy to see. A strong man can pick up a heavier object than a weak man. Someone who moves quickly can move more things around in a day than a slow-moving person. A person who types 60 words a minute can accomplish more typing in a day than a person who types 20 words a minute. But these variations on action are minuscule in comparison with the leverage that you can achieve by aligning your own energies. In blunt terms, it's not possible to offer enough action to compensate for misaligned energies. When you develop upstream thought patterns about the lack of money, you prevent your own discovery of avenues that would provide more of it. As you feel frustrated about not having enough money, and you make no effort in finding a better feeling thought about it, your frustration will turn to anger and eventually to fear as your patterns of thought hold you in more consistent upstream resistance to your financial stream of well-being. And the worse you feel, the worse it gets, because the worse you feel, the more resistance you're offering that's preventing you from the discovery of the solutions that you're seeking. In any moment that you're focused upon not having enough money, you are vibrationally asking for more, which makes your stream move faster. But as you're focused upon not having enough money, you're focused upstream, while your inner being is calling you downstream. Strong, negative emotion about your financial situation is the indication of two significant things. One, you have requested a great deal of financial assistance that your inner being is calling you toward. And two, you're pointed upstream in opposition to the money you want. No matter how many hours you and your wife may work, and no matter how much money flows into your household, you cannot achieve a financial balance until you first achieve a vibrational balance in your own being. And in the moment that you let go of the oars and allow yourself to turn in the stream, you will feel relief in your own body, and the financial relief will come close behind. When you've wanted something for a long time, and have therefore amassed a considerable vibrational escrow on the subject, a little bit of relief goes a long way. In other words, if you can manage to get yourself feeling better for a few days, evidence of your releasing of resistance will begin to appear in some form of financial relief. Now that you understand that you control how much money is flowing, as well as how much of it you let into your experience, you may recognize some of the patterns from your own experience that validate this understanding. The key to consistently getting the good results that you desire is to manage to feel good even when dollars are in short supply. When you learn to manage the way you feel, you will discover the powerful leverage of energy alignment, and you will see the law of attraction deliver veritable fortunes to your door. But if you merely have emotional knee-jerk responses to the conditions you're observing, you'll be limited to the paltry amount of money that your physical action yields. From wherever you are, start reaching for some better-feeling thoughts. For instance... I'm so tired of not having enough money. I see no way of ever having enough money. I work such long hours that I'm tired all the time. I'm tired of making our budget work by cutting back on thing after thing. Well, this is how you feel, and this is temporarily where you are. But from these kinds of thoughts, money cannot begin to flow to your experience in a more powerful way. You have to change your thoughts and feelings first. However, we're not guiding you to improve thoughts and feelings in order to affect your financial situation. Rather, we're guiding you to improve thoughts and feelings for the sake of the improved vibrational offering. 
If you will let the improvement in the way you feel be your objective, the greater amounts of money must begin to flow to you as you accomplish a consistent improvement in the way you feel. For example, I work longer hours than any of our neighbors. Money just seems to come more easily to them. It seems as if every day someone I know is showing off their new car. Comparing your condition to that of another will keep you chronically out of balance and confused about the improved direction of your thoughts. However, comparing one of your own thoughts to another of your own thoughts with the singular intention of finding a better feeling thought will, in a rather short time, give you a clear sense of downstream direction. For example, we aren't doing badly. We actually do live very well. My wife and I do have a sense of pride about the things we've accomplished. We've made good decisions. We have quite a bit of equity in our home. If I look at the overall picture, I realize it's been steadily improving. When I look how far we've come, I see tremendous improvement. Now you're feeling so much better already. Now see how much further you can go. For example, I'll figure this out. I'm actually quite good at figuring things out. I'm standing by for inspiration. Meanwhile, we're doing all right. It's actually quite pleasant to anticipate expansion. Sometimes I get a sense of a very bright future. We have so much life and opportunity ahead of us. It'll be fun to watch this all. Example 32. My dog died and I feel grief. Example. My dog died and I feel so bad about it. I knew he wouldn't live forever and I knew I'd outlive him, but I'm so sad about him being gone. I hate to go home because every time I walk up to the door, I feel sad whenever I remember he won't be there to greet me. Something or other reminds me of him several times every day, and I feel that deep grief all over again. I don't think I should feel this bad about this for this long, but I can't seem to get over it. My friends tell me I should get another dog, but I just can't bring myself to do that. Anyway, wouldn't I just be setting myself up for more pain later? People often feel more sadness over the loss of their pet than nearly anything else that they ever experience. Some think this pain is illogical and ill-placed, for there are so many other important aspects to life that must surely be more important than your pet. Like he suffered more over the death of his dog than when his own dear father died, they've said. The more you want something, the more you suffer when you focus upon the absence of it. But the pain you're feeling over the death of your dog is not because of the absence of your dog. It's much bigger than that. Your dog represented pure, positive energy to you. Your dog remained through his entire life as you were when you were first born, an extension of pure, positive energy. And often, through your attention to your dog and your interaction with your dog, you were inspired more to your own connection with Source. So while, of course, you miss your dog, what you're really missing is the connection to your own Source energy that your dog inspired. Your dog loved you as you are and did not ask you to be different. Your dog did not hold you responsible for his happiness. Your dog did enjoy being with you, but never suffered in your absence, for his joy was not dependent upon your behavior. Your dog neither anticipated nor feared death, but understood the eternal nature of his being. We cannot say any of these things about your father. If we were standing in your physical shoes, we would focus upon the uplifted feeling that you so often felt in the company of your dog. Remember his eagerness to go with you for a walk. Remember his enthusiasm to chase a bird or a squirrel. Remember his peaceful demeanor as he lay on the floor with his head on his paws. And as you relax back into the good-feeling memory of the attitude of your dog, you will come back into alignment in the same way you used to when he was in the room with you. And then, if you like, the universe will deliver another dog to replace him. If you're willing to do the work, 
you could attract a new puppy who will not chew on your shoes. It is possible for you, in your understanding of vibration and of what your dog knew about alignment, to now achieve alignment and release the discomfort of missing your dog, and that's enough, for you may not feel the desire to co-create with another. In any case, we do not encourage getting another dog to try to fill the void of your last dog, but instead to fill that void with what's really missing, alignment with your inner being, and then follow through with whatever action is inspired from that place of alignment. So, from your place of sadness, reach for better feeling downstream thoughts. For instance, sometimes I forget for a minute that my dog isn't here, and then when I remember, I feel so sad. So many things around me make me think of him, and I miss him. I don't think that I'll ever be the same again now that he's gone. I've heard that time heals all wounds, but this isn't getting better. It hits me the hardest when I first come home and he isn't there to greet me. Now, these statements are an accurate representation of how you're feeling and the kinds of thoughts you've been thinking about your dog. This process of reaching for slightly improved thoughts is designed to help you realize that while you cannot bring this wonderful dog back to life, you can feel better anyway if you try. However, you cannot continue to think the same thoughts and say the same things and still find improvement. You have to reach for thoughts that feel better. So make the effort. For instance, I'm not always sad because I do focus on other things. Sometimes I go for quite a while without feeling the intense sadness about my dog. Even when my dog was alive, I didn't think about him all through the day. Often I was away from my house and without my dog. Now, while these thoughts were easy to find from where you were just before, they feel significantly better than the last group of thoughts, so keep going. I'm glad that I had the time I did with that wonderful dog. Someday I may find another dog that I love as well. When you find a thought or a group of thoughts that gives you a feeling of relief, it's helpful to stay with those thoughts for a while, repeating them and looking for thoughts that are similar to them. This process of reaching for downstream thoughts is not a race to see who can get the farthest downstream in the shortest amount of time, but simply about you finding a little bit of relief. If you will take the time to find the relieving statement and then acknowledge that you do indeed feel better, you will have accomplished a great deal. For example, I don't think I'm quite ready to get another dog. A new puppy is a life-changing experience. I remember my last dog when he was a puppy. I threatened to take him back to where he came from nearly every day for weeks. He always looked at me as if to say, you don't really mean that. I would laugh and assure him that I didn't really mean that. He was so much trouble in the beginning and so much fun. Now, you may not be ready to go out and find another puppy, but you are feeling considerably better than just a few minutes ago. We're not guiding you toward or away from bringing another dog into your life. This guidance is about you returning to your natural state of feeling good. For example, it would be fun to get to know another dog. Maybe I'll find one with a similar personality to my last dog. I'll have to remember back to his puppy personality. He was interested in everything, happy about everything. I could use a little dose of that. I think I'll think about that. Example 33. Our son is gay. Example. Our son left home for college last year, and when he came home for summer break recently, he told his father and me that he's gay and that he's met someone at school and has moved in with him. It's been a few weeks since his announcement, and while I'm feeling incredible sadness that our only son won't be giving us the gift of grandchildren, I've somewhat adjusted to it, but my husband is absolutely beside himself with anger. 
He's convinced that if my son hadn't gone to college and met this other boy, none of this would have happened. When I see how angry his father is, who I know loves him very much, it terrifies me how much my son will now be treated by the rest of the world. Hmm. It's never an easy thing for any parents to realize that their child has a different viewpoint on life. For most parents believe that through the hard work of their own life, they've come to the correct assumptions and conclusions about things, and then they work hard to pass these on to their own children. If there could be only one thing that we could convince parents of, a thing that would help them to maintain a wonderful relationship with their children, a thing that would free parents and children from the pain of attempting the impossible, it would be this. Your children are not you and did not come forth to be you. Your children came forth into this physical time-space reality with their own desires and plans. Your son being gay is not something that happened to him at college, and this is not a choice that he's making here and now from his physical point of view. This was something that was set into his vibrational escrow from his non-physical perspective before his physical birth. We're often asked by people who define themselves as gay, why in the world would I choose something like this? Why would I choose to live a point of view so different from the majority of people who surround me? Why would I make a choice that causes me so much pain? And we tell them, you did not specifically declare from your non-physical vantage point that you wanted to come forth into a physical body and be gay, but you did have powerful intentions to come forth into this physical environment into a situation from which you could not be dissuaded. In other words, you knew that you were going to be born into an environment where you would be surrounded by others who believe that they have all the answers, who stand perched to pounce on you to convince you of the correctness of their beliefs. And from your broader non-physical vantage point, you intended, as you came forth into this body, to be different in a way that they would not understand, different in a way that they would want you to change, but different in a way that you could not change. In other words, it was your intention to help others understand the value of diversity and the impossible endeavor of demanding change from those who surround them. When you're willing to change in this way and that way in order to help those around you feel better as they observe you, you do them a great disservice, for they never discover the freedom that only comes by understanding the power of their own thoughts. Many people speak of unconditional love, but rarely live it. Instead, when they see a condition that causes them to feel negative emotions, they demand a change in the condition. But in doing so, they set themselves on a long and uncomfortable path of attempting to control others in order to feel good. When controlling others is necessary in order for you to feel good, you must confine yourself to a very small world over which you can gain control, and then you must give more time and energy than you possess to this impossible effort. Unconditional love is just what it says, being connected to love and to who you really are, regardless of the conditions. When I focus upon thoughts that my inner being agrees with, and therefore feel wonderful positive emotions, I'm in alignment with that which is love. My son, or anyone else, does not have to be different in order for me to remain connected to my source of love. And so, we would like you to understand that with the most loving of intentions, your son has come forth to give you the gift of unconditional love. And there will be no greater joy in your lifetime than the embracing of this gift, and no greater pain than the refusing of it. But you, sweet woman, have another two things to consider. One, you have a son who is not pleasing your husband. And two, you have a husband who is not pleasing you. We're not offering these words so that you can change the attitude of your husband toward your son, or so that you can influence the behavior of your son. Your only power is in finding thoughts that your inner being agrees with and practicing them until they are the dominant thoughts within you. It is our absolute promise to you that your inner being and the source within you will never do other than adore your son, no matter how many people condemn him. And when you are able to adore your husband, no matter what, 
or any others who may be unhappy about your son's sexuality, you will experience a freedom from resistance as you come into full alignment with who you really are and with the source within you. So, begin where you are and try to make your way to the vantage point that your inner being holds about this. Like, my son is asking for so much grief in his life. I wish with all my heart that he were not gay. My husband is unbelievably stubborn, and I fear he'll never get over this. It feels to me that our happy lives are all ruined, and I'm powerless to do anything about it. My husband isn't even trying to understand. My son can't help this, but my husband could be more understanding. This isn't the only thing he's stubborn about, but this one matters more than all the rest put together. I hate that this has happened to us. Well, you've moved from powerlessness into anger and blame, so you are headed downstream in the direction of your inner being, but you still have a ways to go. Keep reaching for better feeling thoughts. For example, this is all very new to us. In time, we'll all get used to the idea. It will not feel this awful forever. My discomfort is much more about my husband's response to this than about the fact that my son is gay. And my husband's response is probably more about how this could negatively affect our son rather than any condemnation of him. This will all get better in time. It will improve, especially since we all want to love one another. Sometimes situations like this make you stronger as a family. Nothing could ever happen to really break the bonds of love that we have for each other. I'm going to relax in all this and stop reeling about in my own personal drama about it. I can diffuse it with my own more stable approach to it. My husband is a reasonable man. My husband is naturally a happy man. We're all happy people on a momentary sidetrack, but we are on our way back to well-being. This will be all right. Now that you are closer to the way the source within you feels about this, we will state the perspective of source for you here. You are all extensions of source energy. You did not come forth into this physical experience with the intention of taking all the ideas that exist and whittling them down to a handful of good ideas. You did not say, I will go into the physical expression of life, figure out the right way to live on every subject, and then teach all others to live in that one perfect way. You understood that you were all coming forth with a variety of perspectives, orientations, and vantage points from which a steady stream of improved ideas would flow. You were thrilled with the prospect of getting to explore the unending variety of ideas, situations, conditions, events, relationships, and all manner of things, for you understood that this variety would be the foundation from which your never-ending ideas of creativity would flow. And you knew that once a spark of desire shined brightly within you, the source that is you would give its undivided attention to your newly expanded idea, and that that idea would then glisten off in the distance of your future, calling you toward it for the thrill of the ride. You knew that you would never get it done, and that you would never get it wrong, for since it's never done, there's room for the eternal alignment. And you knew, above all else, that the source that is within you, the source from which you have come, the source who calls you forward, the source whose gaze is never removed from you, the source of all that is, loves you unconditionally, now and forevermore. There is great love here for you. Abraham Hi, this is Jerry Hicks. This concludes my reading of the book, The Astonishing Power of Emotions, Let Your Feelings Be Your Guide. The last CD in this set is a recording of a live Art of Allowing workshop conducted in Tampa, Florida in November of 2006. This last section is about the authors. Excited about the clarity and the practicality of the translated word 
from the beings who call themselves Abraham, Esther and I began disclosing our amazing Abraham experience to a handful of close business associates in 1986. Recognizing the practical results being received by ourselves and by those people who were asking meaningful questions regarding finances, bodily conditions, and relationships, and then successfully applying Abraham's answers to their own situations, Esther and I made the deliberate decision to allow the teachings of Abraham to become available to an ever-widening circle of seekers of answers of how to live a better life. Using our San Antonio Conference Center as our base, Esther and I have traveled to approximately 50 cities a year since 1989, presenting interactive, art-of-allowing workshops to those leaders who gather to participate in this progressive stream of thought. And although worldwide attention has been given to this philosophy of well-being by leading-edge thinkers and teachers who have in turn incorporated many of Abraham's concepts into their best-selling books, scripts, lectures, and so forth, the primary spread of this material has been from person to person as individuals begin to discover the value of this form of spiritual practicality in their personal life experiences. Abraham, a group of obviously evolved non-physical teachers, present their broader perspective through Esther, and as they speak to our level of comprehension through a series of loving, allowing, brilliant yet comprehensively simple essays in print and in sound, they guide us to a clear connection with our loving inner being and to an uplifting self-empowerment from our total self. Esther and I have now published more than 700 Abraham Hicks books, cassettes, CDs, videos, and DVDs, and we can be contacted through our extensive interactive website at www.abraham-hicks.com. That's abraham-hicks.com, or by mail at Abraham Hicks Publications, Post Office Box 690070, San Antonio, Texas, and the zip code is 78269. This is the end of CD 7.